Hello, everybody, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is March the 1st of 2017, and uh, we're here. We're going to talk about manga, Chris. We a little are. A little bit of manga. A little bit. A little, a little bit. bit of manga. Just one or two chapters, you know, just, not just a whole a lot. Bit. Not a lot. I don't know. We might have to find time to fill in the rest of this podcast with, Nick. Who knows? I mean, we are going to have to get used to just doing longer episodes in general, I guess, with uh, the extra series we're taking on. Uh-huh. But... Yeah. Uh, we already added Astra. Uh, mm-hmm. We are going to be adding Seven Deadly Sins maybe next week, sometime yes. around then, very soon, I imagine. So we'll already be longer with those. And then there's probably going to be more after that. So, you know, that. And then, good news, baby. World Trigger might be coming back. Volume 18 is mm-hmm. coming out, and that seems to be a good sign, potentially. Yeah, Ashihara included, uh, there included a message from Ashihara saying that he is alive and well. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, lost... Like, 15 pounds. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. But, alive and well is a good thing to hear. So, hopefully he uh, is in good good health and able to mm-hmm. recover. And, uh, yeah. Yep. But, I guess this week, since we don't have many manga to talk about at all, we should just fill in the time. So, uh, Nick, I've been playing Yu-Gi-Oh! a lot recently. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're messaging me about that. You were messaging me about that the other night, and you are like, Nick, check out how great my sweet burn deck is doing. You don't understand. All right, so I've been commenting on the fact that I used to have an old-school direct damage deck back in the day, and it used it, uh, it used it, I'm good talking, it used the Dark Room of Nightmare in it. And I was like, oh, sweet, that deck was awesome. And you always just laughed at that idea, because you're like, Dark Room of Nightmare sucks, direct damage it decks aren't, aren't very good in general, especially in the current meta. If you came out with that current deck right now, you'd be destroyed. And then I was, fortunately, un- I was fortunately. undefeated, Nick. Fortunately, Dual Links uses cards that came out, t- like, 12 years ago. No, no, no. <laughs> this, this, this was in Yu-Gi-Oh! Pro. This has all the cards oh, in it. Oh, okay. So this was in Yu-Gi-Oh! Pro, had all the cards in it, and I battled our good friend Gav. You know, old Gav over here. Bip, bip. He had some horseshit deck. I don't know what it's called, but, like, he just shot Blue-Eyes White Dragons out of every orifice onto the <laughs> field. It, it was It was literally like that first scene in Yu-Gi-Oh! the series where... It's Yugi versus Kaiba. Did you just and I was, a bunch of monsters I, in one turn? He summoned three blue eyes on his first turn. I was like, how the f- Whatever. I don't even know. And I still beat him. I beat him <laughs> with my burn deck with the Dark Room of Nightmare on it. So Three Dark Rooms of Nightmare. Three. I've, I've since shortened it. I realize that's kind of unnecessary. but Because they don't they activate off of each other. They don't. And they just, they just mean, well, occupy well, the they board that I really it. need for the shit. Well, if they did activate off each other, it would cause an infinite loop, so fortunately they don't. Yeah, but it's... Dark Room, uh, of, Ni- Dark Room, of, Ni- Dark Room of Nightmare, for those of you who are like, what the fuck is that? Basically, it deals more damage each time that you deal effect damage to your opponent. Yeah, it was 300 damage so each time. Each iteration, each iteration of effect damage, it deals an extra 300. Mm-hmm. So if you have a lot of different effects that deal effect damage, it's more effective that way. So... When you actually were telling me about that, I thought you were talking about in, like, in Duel Links, where it would be like, why would you put three of your 20 cards? <laughs> <laughs> no, that they card. They don't have Dark Room and Nightmare really in that game. I'm sad. There's not enough life points for that to really be worth it. <laughs> no, I, I have not tried a burn deck in that yet, but uh, I, I managed to There's make it work. There's not enough cards in that game. Yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is, is it worked in real life, and I'm taking a an immense amount of pride in that. However, my throw-together dinosaur deck, in which case, which I just put a shit ton of dinosaurs in, it was like, man, eh, fuck it, Metal Morph, and eh, I've got one more card left, Gear Freed the Iron Knight, because I like that design. <laughs> that didn't work so well. 
Uh, Metal Morph and um, a card that won't work with Metal Morph. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the synergy is too much. <laughs> Imagine if my opponent steals Metal Morph and tries to put it on my monster. Countered. <laughs> Anti-meta deck. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, guys. We, uh... All right, um... We do actually have a bunch of manga to talk about, uh, so life. I will save you the details of why I have, I'm, I'm pretty much quitting Duel Links, as in, it's too boring. <laughs> I'm not. Feel free to challenge me. Um, yeah, you, you use a strong monster to win. There you go. <laughs> um, so instead, we're just going to be getting right into uh, the manga we have to talk about this week, because we still have three jump starts. Fortunately, we don't have to. Do, we don't have to do each of the jump starts for the entire six weeks that uh, we're getting new ones. Um, but it's still a lot to do. And on top of that, we uh, have Astro back, and we have a chapter of Boruto. So it's kind of fortunate, actually, that this week we don't have one piece to talk don't about. Don't forget about the return of Ruby. Oh my God! <laughs> the pre- returned like Hunter Hunter returned, basically. <laughs> Except it was announced and planned. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Chris, like I said, we are uh, working on getting Seven Deadly Sins ready to add to the lineup, Uh, but that'll probably be at least another week. And in the meantime, let's uh, let's just do it. Recap portion week, manga recap. My Hero Academia. Uh, Chapter 128, Boy Meets. Boy Meets World, I guess. You know? Uh, did you ever watch the show when it was on? No, Chris? I never really cared for Boys it. World. I, I, I don't know. There was something about I just didn't quite get it. Maybe it was too like I was too young for it when it was popular. Because mm. I never got like the Cory Topanga thing. I was like, yeah, that's whatever. Who cares? They're adorable. <laughs> and I guess like the characters weren't wacky enough. The only person I ever like found kind of interesting was Feeny. Like just that like mentor teacher, Mister Matthews. Mm. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, it just didn't mean anything to me. It got. Weirdly different later on when it actually started to get wackier, got much more over the top in, in its comedy. Like literally, there, there, there. There's an episode that I think is basically the point where it lets you know, yeah, things are getting weird from now on. Which is literally what a, a girl that like his roommate is dating is a witch. What? <laughs> Wait, it gets supernatural? Yeah, and she just has like a coven of witches. <laughs> Wait, hold on a moment. What? Keep in mind that this was part of the TJIF lineup, which Sabrina the Teenage Witch was a part of. So magic is real in the combined multiverse. Boy Meets World Witches of Penbrook? Yeah. What the... Wait, hold on. It... Wait, is that actually Sabrina the Teenage Witch, though? No, 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 no. It looks like Melissa Joan Hart. No, maybe maybe it did have her in it as, like, a reference. I don't know. That's fucking... Been... That's, that's mind-blowing to me, though. Like, it would be like if, um... And what was the name of the evil fucking doll from Family Matters? Like, if that was actually a real character on the show, it just didn't show up in the Halloween episodes? I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Hold so on, I, I'm, I'm going to find it. Evil Dummy Family Matters. You're going to be blown. Stevel! That was its name, Stevel. <laughs> and hold on, you have to see the image of this fucking thing. And then, uh, also in fairness, probably the single best episode of Boy Meets World was the one that was one that was a, a really wacky one, which was, uh, it, it was one of those things that of course turned out to be a dream sequence, but it was done like it was a slasher film, uh, which includes the unbelievably wonderful 
a gag where one of the victims gets a pencil thrown through his head and then, you know, his course falls down and it leaves a, uh, you know, a mark on the wall behind him. And someone else goes up to it and is like, well, I always remember he was that tall. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty good gag. Yeah. Uh, there's also a scene where Steve comes out of the toilet because I think they flushed him down the toilet to kill him, but he came back like at the end of one Halloween episode. He's like, I'm back or whatever. I have seen considerably more terrifying dummies, so. It's not that it's terrifying. I just love that it's a, like a goofy fucking Urkel dummy that's just <laughs> evil. That shit's, I don't know why, that's so funny to me. By the way, weren't we supposed to be talking about manga? Didn't we explicitly make a promise to, to not tangent too much? Deku is trying to prove himself to Sir Night Eye, who is using his quirk foresight to prevent Deku from grabbing the stamp that he would use to stamp his uh, approval thing. Um, we get actually a really weird uh, sequence at one point where Sir Night Eye dodges Deku dashing towards him. It's kind of one of those, like, I moved so fast that I disappeared hmm. things, but it's done in an, in negative, so it looks quite odd. I thought it was meant to see that that was him foreseeing the future, so he saw he was about I, to make that oh, move and reacts to it. See, that's why I was confused. <laughs> uh, Night Eye, of course, is uh, lecturing Deku while he's dodging around. Uh, he's pointing out that, oh, you know, you only, ha you only have uh, um three minutes and you've already used the first two, you're still struggling to move around, so why don't you just give up? Uh, Sarnaya says, you know, you have such an uneasy expression on while you're focusing on this. Those standing at the top must never openly show their doubt and unease. By understanding that, they can hold on to their vision and act accordingly. Despite being told that countless times, no doubt, you can't seem to put that guideline into practice even in a safe testing environment such as this. You swore you'd make me accept you, the more I see, the more I fail to understand why it had to be you. And Deku just replies by saying, well, he said I could be the greatest hero, and he throws this big old rack of uh, books at Night Eye to try and distract him. And he's like, okay, well, uh, maybe he, if he can't actually see me, then he won't be able to use his foresight. So, you know, can, he use, can he see every single future event or just the target's actions? I've got to figure it out as fast as possible. And, uh, Maybe that way I can use it to grab the stamp. And uh, so he kind of dashes through the books as they're flying towards her night eye and rushes towards it hands first while shouting, I am All Might's Disciple! And uh, so now I just kind of... Uh, it's kind and, of worth uh, uh, noting at this point. It's more noticeable as like a couple more pages into the chapter. But uh, there was seems to be something with Horikoshi this week that maybe he didn't have time to complete the entire chapter. There's quite a few scenes where it's very, like, rough line art still. Like, in the shot where uh, Deku's reaching for his hand, you can see that Night Eye still isn't, like, finished. The books themselves are kind of sketches. The hands of Deku are kind of used. They're still, like, sketch form. They haven't been fully, like, lined yet. Hmm. And, like, a couple pages later, it's it's very noticeable as it's, like... It almost feels like they went to the aha, like take on me video. <laughs> like I was about to just see like a fucking a dude in like a like a fucking aviator helmet with a wrench come after like some some pretty blonde girl. Like ah. I guess to kind of see what you're talking about, you can you can you can really definitely see it on Sir Night Eye's jacket mm -hmm. uh, when he's reaching towards the stamp. Sir Night Eye himself does look quite rough, 
And you can kind of see it also when he's picking up the shelf of books, Deku's hand. Yeah. Hmm. I'm not saying there's anything, any issue with it. Yeah, I understand. Like, and I didn't notice it. I didn't notice it. I didn't notice it the first time around. So, manga is a pretty uh, demanding career to have. So it's understandable if these sort of things happen. I only just wanted to kind of point it out. It's not nearly so ridiculous as that one chapter of World Trigger where like everything was just like you know lined out heads. There was a chapter in Naruto back in the day that had an issue with that too. So it's not something that people are necessarily immune to. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Oda takes takes breaks all the time? <laughs> and he probably enjoys sleep. <laughs> Being able to, like, you know, get the occasional four-hour nap. <laughs> he enjoys, like, being 50 and not having to, like, work 12 hours straight, seven days a week. <laughs> so, um, uh, Deku rather hits the wall, literally, uh, as he goes flying past or not, as he dodges out of the way, and, and Deku's like, oh, I'm not done yet! And Sonaya says, three minutes have passed, it's over. And, uh, he says, come on, you came with one actual strategy, and then you fell to pieces after it failed. So, what's wrong with you? And, uh, Deku says, I didn't lose focus. And, uh, is like, okay, so you just made a stupid mistake. And Deku says, that's All Might's 10th anniversary commemorative poster that's not sold anywhere, so I didn't want to step on it. And Tsunade looks around the room and realizes that as much as Deku is dodging around all over the place, all of his All Might merch has somehow been completely avoided. Uh, and so this catches him by surprise because he's like, oh, even though I was taunting him like that, he managed to actually still be aware of his surroundings while he was also working to get the stamp from him. Uh, so he actually chuckles to himself for a second uh, just before uh, Mirio and Bubble Girl come back into the room because they heard you know, the commotion inside. And Sonaya says, I accept him. And Deku is like, but I failed the test! And Sir says, I told you to steal my st- seal... Uh, I told you to steal my seal and stamp the form yourself. Eh. But I never said that I would reject you should you fail to do so. Uh... And Mirio observes, oh, you made Sir laugh. And, uh, yeah, he did. A very tiny little chuckle, but he did it. So he succeeded on, on that ground in order to make him accept him. And, uh, Sir Knight is, is kind of still lecturing him as he, as is, uh, explaining, uh, your placement here was decided the moment I heard you were coming, and I knew all along that you wouldn't be able to completely—that you would not be completely useless to me. But I still had not accepted you. Now that the people are without their symbol, they don't need merely a small sp- spat. I am completely <laughs> tripping over myself. This stupid speech. The people are without their symbol. They don't need merely a small spark, but rather a bright and shining light. Even if it goes against his will, you will gain the experience in this pro hero office. It will make you very aware of who is best suited to that power. And he drops the stamp into Deku's hands. He stamps the approval form. And uh, so Deku has renewed determination from this experience, essentially. He stamps the form. Um, so we uh, cut ahead to the next day, where the art is a lot cleaner, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, I think this part was probably done earlier. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, we get to see Mirio's superhero outfit. It's Shocking. you can kind of tell he. You can kind of tell, it, it looks as though he designed it when he was 10, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, didn't Deku kind of do that, too? Was Deku like his... did the same thing with his original outfit with the stupid ears. Uh, I'm, God, I'm he has sure, not worn that hood in a long time. I'm sure there's supposed to be some moment where we're going to see, and maybe it's because maybe all the art wasn't finished, and maybe it looks a little bit more impressive with all the uh, precision done to it. Or I'm just waiting for that moment where it's like, oh, this is how this part of the costume aids in my uh, my power. Because otherwise, I'm like, it seems like a really dorky looking costume. <laughs> but the, well, but when he turns intangible, he, all his clothes fall off anyway. Maybe, but there have there has to be in this world of of, of my hero some material maybe he can't phase through, like the ruby quartz of the my hero world or something. I don't know. Or it phases with him. I don't know. Ghost or like I don't. I'm not being paid to write this, all right? I'm just noting. <laughs> the ruby quartz? <laughs> yeah. Fucking uh, Cyclops. That's why he can't shoot his eyeballs. Oh, okay. Don't act like I'm not a... Did you know what I'm talking about, Nick? We're both nerds here. You don't get off no, on this. Because the first thing my mind jumped to was Steven Universe. So. <laughs> oh. No, I have no idea anything of that. Um, I like how certain I like Because they're all in their, in their superhero outfits, Bubble Girl and Deku and Mirio. And Sernaya is just wearing his suit, so I guess that that's his superhero outfit. What? Does he actively patrol? It sounds like he's more of like a, a mentor kind of character. Or maybe it is just his suit. I mean, fuck, I, if I looked that dapper, I'd probably just They're walk patrolling. They're splitting up. They're splitting up. Mirio is going off with Deku while he's going with Bubble Girl, so he's on patrol. Yeah, I suppose so. I don't mm-hmm. know. I guess it is. Or maybe his, like, real suit pops up out of somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, Sernai explains what there, what's going on, and uh, he says, A small organized crime group called Shie Hasakai, their young head, a man named Chisaki, or... Huh? Guess who is it? Uh, I don't know. It could be anybody. Well, who could it be? <laughs> I don't know. I've seen so many characters in this manga who wear Plague Doctor masks. To um, be fair, he... D- his entire group did seem to wear Plague Doctor masks, did, yes. so it could be any of his minions, yeah. too. Um, Deku uh, is like, I thought that the Yakuza were kind of dead, and uh, Bubble Girl says, well, yeah, they did disperse a while ago, but this guy's gathering forces for some reason. He made contact with the League of Villains recently. We don't know what exactly what happened. Um, and uh, Sir Nidai says, however, we've acquired no evidence of any wrongdoing, so we can't treat these people as full-fledged villains. Didn't they, like, beat up a bunch of bank robbers on the street and, like, didn't he essentially crucify them? <laughs> How do they not know that this guy has committed atrocities? Yeah, I feel like I really definitely at some point need to go back and reread that chapter, because, like, at the time I remember being that like... Twice, that, that chapter featuring twice, he murders a couple of bank robbers, basically. Yeah, at the time, it was like, why are we getting this chapter on twice? I didn't, like, just digest everything. I guess I really need to go back now and he's, like, a major character again. So what they're looking for while on patrol is concrete evidence of criminal activity while being careful not to attract their attention. So they split up and go off in separate directions. And uh, all of a sudden, this little girl just scampers out of an alleyway, running away from someone, and bumps right into Deku's hip and falls to the ground. And she's got a single, like, devil horn sticking out of her head this way. Uh... 
And uh, Deku immediately you know, bends down. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I, did, did I hurt you? And she's obviously afraid. And the guy who was chasing her comes up behind. And, oh, my gosh, it's overhaul. Don't touch okay. him, Deku. He'll yeah. explode. <laughs> um, and uh, he just kind of says, you know, shame on you causing trouble for this nice hero. And Deku is narrating from that way that, you know, the way that it, they did in the stain thing, where there was, like, the ominous narration that made us think that someone was going to die. And then nothing all that bad happened, actually. <laughs> Something awful's gonna happen. We're gonna get reprimanded relatively easily <laughs> by a dog police officer. We won't get credit for stopping the villain. <laughs> and that's basically it. Dog, we'll, get our, dog, we'll get a dog. finger shaken at us. <laughs> uh, but he, yeah, he says in the narration, my long work stu- study had only just begun. Dun 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 dun. Dun okay. dun 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 dun. Yeah, all right. It's only just begun, Nick. Um, this chapter went, it it, it kind of got from point A to point B really quickly, didn't we? Um, the last few chapters before this, you know, building up this Zernaidai and his test and stuff, and then right after wrapping that up, all of a sudden, oh, and then he just ran overhaul. Like, with absolutely no warning other than the fact that, you know, he had been in they've been introduced a couple of chapters before this. That was really it. So I was rather surprised that we encountered him again so quickly. I think what kind of surprised me the most on this uh, was just how the actual conclusion went for the situation with Night Eye. I was a little surprised that essentially, like, it was kind of like a joke victory. Like, he was like, mm-hmm. you avoided all my All Might posters. I shall take you on. I had no intention of ever not taking you on to begin with. Like, I see that there's still inherent drama in there, because he's like, I definitely am going to take you on, so that you can see firsthand why you are the inferior person to have all for mm-hmm. one. And I presume, presumably give it up willingly then, because that's the only way it could be passed on. Um, but it was a little surprising that it does kind of end the situation ultimately off on you avoided all my All Might posters. That's very nice of you. It's like, oh, okay. I get it, I guess. But I, if, I if wonder, all, if, if, all I my... wonder if this like idea like got changed a couple of times from when it was first conceived. And so maybe originally it was like, well, I was always originally going to accept you, so okay. But I'm not really impressed with you. Just kind of be that stereotypical mentor with no faith in the student kind of thing. And then Deku's got to prove himself through actions in the arc and following after. I guess so that, that, I don't know, maybe they would, they thought that that would be a little cliched to go with that option because you see it happen all the time. You know, the yeah. guy who thinks the student's going to fail. And so whatever, I'll and, run him out of here soon enough. And I ultimately do get it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, some people are saying, like, yeah, this is him making him laugh, which is what the test was ultimately to begin with. <laughs> It just feels like um, if Sir Night Eye is going to be a significant character in Deku's life, I would have liked their first interaction to have come across with a more dramatically appropriate conclusion. And I'm not even saying it had to be dramatically done. I'm just saying, even as a joke, this didn't really feel like it had enough to it. So, right. we shall see. I mean, I didn't feel the same way necessarily with Gran Torino either, and that's ended up being a bigger deal and works out. So, perhaps there's more to this than what uh, we're seeing. 
Oh shit! I guess we got we got to talk about Ruby. Ruby, Ruby, so, Ruby, Ruby, Ruby. Ruby. Uh, no uh, shot. No shot of Junior in the front. Just some, where is he? Just the four girls and John or Jean, whatever. Who cares? You don't have to see this anymore. Uh, so if you recall last time, we thought we thought last time that it was the final chapter, but we did think. Well, it doesn't say the end though. Yes. Is this actually the end? We were debating it. I guess it turns out this this one though is the last one. This this is the last it one. It says the end yes. at the end of the chapter. And so this they, is it. And they also call it the final chapter in the the jump table of mm-hmm. content. So this is this is the last chapter Ruby will be talking about anymore. I just uh, uh well, all right. So last time, if you recall, they they killed the Grim, and they were all fucking heroes. Uh, there's a scene of them talking about, like, I guess some professors at the school. I don't know who these characters are at all. So they're like, oh my god, I can't believe that they managed to do it. It's such a rare creature, blah, 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 blah. And I guess it's because he's, like, talking so much and so frequently that all the girls are meant to have, like, goofy reactions to it. So, like, Ruby is spinning her eyes, I guess, because she's dumb and can't follow this conversation. Ah! Weiss is just being friendly. Uh, Blake is, like, giving a dead-eyed stare. And I think that Yang had a stroke and is dead. Because she's just blank eye staring with a snot bubble shooting out of her nose. I don't know if she's supposed to be asleep or she's just dead or something happened. Like she's been replaced by a replicon or something. Uh, there's really not much to say about this chapter, though. They're mostly just talking back and forth about a couple of things. Talking about the world they're in. A little bit of a tease to, I guess, Torchwood in front of some big... Monst like robot machine of some kind that I guess some people have said I guess this connects to something in season or volume two of Ruby so maybe that does. Uh, then there's a big two page spread with a shit ton of characters we don't know. I mean an absolute crap ton. Junior's technically in one very small panel over here so I guess that is he is still the most important character in Ruby. Uh, but yeah, then it's the girls walking off into the fucking bleach-like, no-background world that they exist in, and that's credits. So, there is something that... There are a couple of things that, like, bother me about this, because... Just, just a couple? Well, I mean, it is only, like, five pages. <laughs> <laughs> so... After we get the introduction of, like, oh, you know, the professors have learned about this, you know, combination grim or whatever, suddenly uh, Blake starts needling Ruby over her leadership and is like, this would have gone much more smoothly if I were the leader. There's more of this than, you know, coming up with combination names. But we agree to use combination names, and uh, I would have been so much better this way. And then Blake and Yang have to break it up and just, like, just stepping between them and stuff. Everything's like, oh, everything's okay. And Ruby's, like, Ruby suddenly notices that she's got a, a, like a scar on her cheek, and it's and uh, it's like, hey, Blake, we're like, we're gonna be like mirror images to each other and stuff. It's like, okay, <laughs> this interaction between them is like, they're the rivals. First... Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, look, if you if you watch Ruby, then you know that Blake and Ruby don't really get along a lot of the time. Weish. But they're really friends, you know. Uh, but this is the first hint of this that we have really gotten in this manga. Because during that fight with the Grimms, they worked together quite well. There was no bickering, really, between them that I could remember. 
Uh, and if it was, then it was so like unmemorable that, you know, it didn't leave an impression, but apparently this is like something you were supposed to take into this conversation. So <sighs> it's, it's the sort of thing we've been talking about throughout our discussion of Ruby, the manga, where it's like, I, we don't get who this is for. If you mm-hmm. are a fan of the series, then yeah, you get these interactions and maybe this adds to your enjoyment of it. But if that's the case, why did the first two thirds of the series was spend on just, you know, redoing trailers you've seen many times over, I'm sure. And for new readers, yeah, this doesn't make any sense at all. And you're just getting this kind of now abruptly. It, it almost feels like there was, like there was a list of bullet points that they wanted to hit. And they just kind of like checked them off as they were put into this adaptation, as opposed to writing an entire story that kind of flowed together. Yeah, I really, I'm curious what, like, sort of the thought process behind putting this all together was. If it was like, hey, we want to make this something that's accessible for fans who maybe don't know what the show is, but they like manga, so they they can read this and get interested. But they're like, oh shit, we need to have a story in this, so I guess we'll we'll add something in here that connects to something, but let's not, let's, you know, let's not make that too long or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I think my, my energy to be frustrated by this is past just because it's, I've said it so many times. I just don't get what the point of this was. Like, this is the end. There's presumably no more. Maybe they do a, a part two or whatever. But as it says, this was 15 chapters, two thirds of which were just retellings of action or character trailers. And then the last part was a pretty inconsequential, like, I guess it's an original story that connects to something in volume two. But I mean, in it on an, in and of itself on its own, it did nothing. So day. Yep. I, I don't really know what else to say. Um, I guess if you are intrigued by what you've seen of Ruby, the show's on Rooster Teeth. You can check it out there. I think it's also on Crunchyroll and a shit ton of other places, so you can watch that. And it's probably better to just watch it and just ignore that this manga even exists. Speaking of ignoring a manga, uh, Fairy Tale. Yes, Fairy Tale, chapter 524, Black Future. So, last time, Aklogia showed up. He crashed down from the sky, and uh, he was now freed from uh, Irene's, like, I send you to the other side of the world magic, basically. And this is uh, Urza and Wendy reacting to him, and they're just, they're scared shitless. And I actually kind of like this, because they're scared terrified. And Aklogia just walks up, and he's like, it was you, wasn't it, to Irene's body? Then you are my mother. And he just starts, he just starts kicking the shit out of her in like a violent looking scene where there's just this like harsh sound effect of grunge as what seems like he's just kicking her so hard her chest is exploding. Like there's, there's blood shooting out. So I don't know if he's like ripping her apart with his foot or if it's just meant to be like she's like bleeding out of his kick wounds, but it seems savage. And at least for this moment, it's not like Wendy and Urza immediately being like, "Don't you do that to my mom," or whatever. Like it's a moment they're, they're just able to... horrified that he's that he's doing this, and they can't really do anything to stop him. As he does, goes full on kicking the dog, evil because he's just laughing while stomping this corpse. <laughs> yeah, so it's like okay, that's pretty satisfying. You know, it's it's nice seeing Actorology. I still feel like he is the biggest fucking deal in this room. Uh, which it comes across as the ultimate point of this chapter, as we, we cut over to the fight between Zeref and Natsu inside a fairy tale. Uh, basically, they just exchange a couple blows, Zeref knocks Natsu away, um, 
they note that because he doesn't have Ignel's power anymore, that his chance of actually beating Zareph has disappeared. Uh, and that's when Zareph realizes, ah, shit, like, he's here. So, Natsu, fuck off. If you really care about this planet, then you have to let me go kill Actalogia, because no one else is going to be able to. Cut away. August is essentially saying the same thing. I really don't like this brief exchange that Zareph and Natsu have. Okay. Because Zareph suddenly turns into Kung Fu Master Guy. I really did not get the impression of him up to this point that he was basically going to fight the way that Natsu fights. And I'm kind of disappointed that he does. I mean, it makes sense in the sense that we haven't seen, like, an actual magic out of him that isn't just Death Zone. So... I guess you imply that since he's lived for so long, he probably at some time, like, he found, like, a... It's like a Master Splinter in the new uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot. He found an Asian book in the sewer and learned Kung Fu off of it. That shit's so fucked up! I was about to say, like, so yeah, it makes sense that he that he, that he, he learns, you know, a form of hand-to-hand combat. I'm sure he had plenty of practice with all the people who died around him. <laughs> all the people who immediately perished once they got within all right, 40 so yards. All right, we're going to teach you the white belt for now. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, all my weak masters. Oh. I know Kung Fu. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a little disappointing, but, I mean, I guess necessity kind of demands he has something that they could do, and I don't know if we, he's shown to have, like, a generic kind of energy magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we, we cut over to August, then, who's fighting with Gildarts? Is that his name? Uh, no. Yeah. No, that's not his name, is it? Gildarts was... No, yeah, okay, Gildarts. I was thinking Mist, and that was the guy who turned out to be, what's his name? Gerard. Uh, so yeah, August is fighting him, and... Kana shown up, and basically August just saying, like, fuck off! You need to stop acting large your guts, damn it! It's the future! It's, it's important! And he's essentially saying, like, look, you don't get it, but the the extremes to which our master is going through are necessary, because it's literally the only thing that's going to stop this world from being destroyed. You have to accept this. And Kana's like, shut up! No! Right. I don't... <laughs> I don't care what kind of rationalizations you use. The only thing thing that's important in our world is friendship and laughter and having fun together. It's like Apocalypse Dragon literally killed you doing that. Literally destroyed you all. We held hands. It was fine. (laughs) Yeah, we got teleported. It's like, all right, bullshit friendship magic aside, you would have been killed in your own fucking laughing and holding hands nonsense. Maybe you guys should give this dude the benefit of the doubt here. Uh, So she fucking uses fairy glitter to blast him, and uh, he doesn't give a fuck. He's like, whatever. That was pretty lame. I'm uh, August, bitch. Yeah, he's like, I'm dope as fuck. Can't, can't touch this. You can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> but do, do, do. Uh, at which point... In case he... you forgot to fill off. <laughs> I'm still knock, knock your bed off. Uh, he says over to Gildarts, uh, do you love your daughter... And he's like, yeah. And he says to Kana, do you love your dad? She's like, I... No. Yeah, no, but I guess so. He says, ah, well, I've acquired every magic in the world. And yet, there's one that eludes me. The love of a parent and a child. (laughs) I'm like, what? I'm I'm completely impotent, and so I can't have kids. I'm like, what does that mean? I've acquired perhaps every magic in the world, and yet there is one that eludes me. The love between parent and child. 
is that supposed to literally be a form of magic? Like, do you believe in magic in a young girl's heart? Yeah, I get Disney sells us on this notion that love is magic and things like that. I don't think it's literally a combative form of magic. <laughs> Uh, oh, come on. No, 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 Chris. Remember, Harry Potter, Nevada Kedavra, was countered by the love of a mother for her child. Oh. Man, I'm glad I didn't read all of Harry, uh, Harry Potter. That shit sounds so lame. <laughs> it was old magic, Chris. Is that the magic they put away because it sounded too dorky after a while? They're like, <laughs> we can't teach this in school. The kids are going to laugh at us. I mean, can you, are, are you kidding me? I mean, I'll use, I'll use a spell called Ridiculous, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, I'll do Leviosa, but not this. Uh, I got, uh, I kind of came to realization while reading this chapter, uh, which is, I'm pretty sure that Fairy Tale is still not anywhere close to ending. Because um, I get the impression that after they beat Zeref, that Acnologia is probably still going to be the final villain. Which That's what I think is going on. I guess kind of works. Uh, I always kind of figured it would have to be Zeref since that's the one who he's, like, Natsu's gonna have an actual, like, a connection to. Like, mm-hmm. there's actual emotional weight there. But I guess Zeref, or, uh, Acknologia makes better sense as the final villain because, one, he's, like, total and absolute evil. But, two, he doesn't have a chance to be redeemed. Right. I don't think they're not gonna go with that angle, so I guess it's a way for, like, the final fight to be more, like, black and white sort of thing, and maybe Zeref has a chance to redeem himself and sacrifice himself to stop, I don't know. I just, I, I could definitely see that happening. Well, especially because this arc has been about Zeref. We haven't had an arc about Akinologia yet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for as long as he's been involved in the series, and for as much as he's been built up, I really don't think, even though it's fairy tale, and you can't really put anything past Hero's bizarre way of dealing with Issues that feel like they should be long-standing and then get resolved by saying, oh, he decided to be human, so he's fine. Um, then I, I still think that he would not take that villain and then just, like, have him be defeated without giving him, like, a really big built-up uh, conclusion. Mm-hmm. No, Zeref's time to be defeated seems like it is approaching soon. Acknologia seems like it's far off still. I can see that. But, um, so. yeah, I don't know if this is like, I'm like, oh, what an awful chapter or anything like that, but it is definitely one where I'm just like, eh. It's fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Food Wars Shokugeki no Soma, chapter. Where is the fucking. It's, 204. Uh... The 10th Seat's Decision. Okay, so this chapter starts off. Amazingly. So, uh, the two forces are arriving at the meeting place in the mountains, uh, to discuss the terms of the team Shokugeki, uh, and, uh, the regimented cuisine. And so the good guys show up first, and Soma and company are all waiting there, and they're like, huh, where, where, where is, uh, Zami and everybody else? And, uh, they're like, oh, wait, there they are, they're coming in just now. And someone looks up, and Takumi looks up, and we get this great panel of a zombie in his full evil businessman, you know, trench coat and suit attire, the black gloves, happily skiing down the mountain. 
It's not even the fact that he's skiing. It's the fact that, like, he looks happier than he's looked in this entire manga up to this point. Just... This, this, this is the exact moment when Azami turned in from turned from episodes one and two Team Rocket to episode three and onward Team Rocket. Ooh, we've got this new Pikachu. When they went from being this, like, up-in-the-air, half-disguised, like, horrifying antagonistic force to being like, that casually... We steal people's Pokemon and take them from them against their will. We steal people's Pokemon and take them against their will. <laughs> to be, yeah, the guys who are just like, Caterpie, no! Plomp, and then they get shot into the air in like a giant ball of string. <laughs> <laughs> That's what just happened to a zombie. He's just a goofy character now. <laughs> uh, so a is not James from Pokemon is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. As she, he'll show up with a fake pair of breasts to like blend in. <laughs> he's, go, he's going to do it though. Here's the thing: he's going to do it exclusively for like like just wacky reveals. Like they're going to be at the tournament, and it's going to be a big busted like lady who's going to bend down to give him their food, and then they'll like look up, and it's like, <laughs> "Hi!" It's like, "Whoa, hey, Azami, what are you doing?" Like, like with his super intimidating, I'm going to scare Aaron a shitless face, and then. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I love how, like, everyone has reacted to him, like, what the fuck? Man? Well, that, that's what sells it. Like, it's not meant to be Takumi a Takumi and, and someone's just like... They're like, what happened? And even even Megami in the background is just like... Huh? Is this is the guy that we're just terrified of and is, you know, destroying our friends, this weird, happy, skiing douchebag. And I guess that he just made that a thing, because you can see Tsukasa and Rindo behind him with, like, a toboggan and a snowboard, so he's like, everybody, <laughs> grab our various different snow hill transportation methods and come down. Like, it was probably the dude with the sword behind him and, like, a fucking snow tube, and, like, and one behind them, like, the little girl had, like, an in-a-dog, an in-a-dog slog team, uh, slog dead team. The glasses girl has a freaking snowmobile. Azon <laughs> just got tennis rackets on his feet. He's like, this is horseshit. <laughs> this doesn't count. Rindo's still still cold and shivering. <laughs> um, not all of Central arrives immediately. Just Sukasa and Rindo are with him. And we kind of just, we kind of get a time skip, though, to them showing up while Arina stares awkwardly at her father. And, uh, then uh, we get this pretty cool. I just realized that the chapter of zombie fucking scoofily skateboards or skis down a mountain is supposed. It's like the big first real meeting Arena has had, or like conversation this is the that they big con- confrontation where she actually has like. Ha- there's actually a two-way conversation that happens between them, and all of a sudden, this army's way less intimidating. <laughs> he couldn't have picked a worse time to suddenly look goofy. <laughs> Maybe he's trying to look cool for his daughter. He's like, once she sees my sweet skiing style, she'll definitely join Team Me. <laughs> team Me. <laughs> team Not Team Dad. Central. Just Team Me. Not Team Azami. <laughs> team Daddy. Boom. God. We actually get this really cool uh, full-page spread of the of uh, the two different sides squaring off, and they're on opposite sides of the train tracks that they arrived on. Uh, I really like the visual of them squaring off that way. Um, and uh, there's kind of a, a little bit of awkward interaction between them. You know, they're observing that, oh, yeah, all the counselors are here. And so it was like, hey, Azon Senpai is here. Thanks for our Shokugeki. Die! Uh, die! <laughs> 
I mean, did you expect anything else? <laughs> no. One thing I just realized, though, they don't include, and I guess it's because we haven't met them yet, and maybe there's reveals coming later, but we know from the whole part with uh, Hayama that two other people have yeah. been added to the council, and they, and they aren't there. Up, they aren't there at the meeting, just the original members of the council of ten, minus, of course... Arena being on the other side, and then the, the others who being absent, the, the three that were actually kicked out, they're all gone. They're all not present either. Uh, so yeah, it's Azami and like one other teacher, and then the six remaining council members. And yeah, so we still don't know about those other t- other two replacements. Where and in fact, there might be a total of four more replacements. Spoilers. Um. Kino Kuni goes over the rules for the uh, team battle. Um, they're going to go to the venue at the southern tip of Ribbon Island, where a regiment du cuisine will be held. The plans include spectator seating for the regular students, so essentially it's going to be like a big public execution is Azami's intention. They're going to crush the final resistance at Totsuki in a way that all, everyone can see. Burning. And, uh, yeah, and of course the conditions are that the Council of Ten will go over to Yukihira's team's side if then they can actually distribute all ten of the seats as they see fit, assuming that they win. Uh, whereas if a zombie wins, then, you know, the resistance will be expelled. Um, and, uh, Takui, however, brings up, oh yeah, but, you know, this might be about councils and whatever, but all that we care about is, uh, the, Students that have been expelled by you are friends. And uh, Zombie's like, oh, yeah, I haven't forgotten. And he reaches into his trench coat and he pulls out a bunch of student booklets, the uh, student IDs that had that are all forked over by the different students that have been defeated and expelled. And each of the council members that have defeated uh, members of the resistance start to pull them out as well. And there's a little bit of a... Uh, of a uh, interaction between Somei and uh, what's-her-face, Teddy Bear Girl, where he, like, grabs her stuffed doll and then reaches inside of it and pulls out a book that she was keeping inside of it. And she's like, how dare you do that? Like, you 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 tear your own thing apart all the time. Shut the fuck up. She was keeping a shit ton of them. If you look inside, there's, like, five fucking... <laughs> she's been expelling a lot of the kids. Yeah. And uh, Sukasa gets a, a big moment because at first he's kind of like thrown off by them being all weird, but he says, "Oh, you know, you can rest assured that we're keeping good care of the booklets. If you'd like them back, then come and take them. We will fight you with all of our might." It's uh, it's really weird the way it's interesting the way that he's been built up this way. This, you know, he's this goofy character so much of the time, but. I love. I still love that he he's not like an asshole. He's just got such complete and utter confidence in himself mm-hmm. that he doesn't need to make a big deal out of it. He just so nonchalantly says, "Like if you want, if you want it, these booklets back, then come beat it. Then come and beat us. But we're gonna we're gonna win." Base. <laughs> so yeah, I, I he's been one of my favorite characters of the the Council of Ten, definitely just because of how unique he is that for exact reason you just gave. Like you don't mm-hmm. normally see the main like the number one of a villain group that's numbered of any kind being like, hey guys, can we stop like hanging? Like, come on, calm down. BC, all right, I guess I'll do this thing for you. But then he turns it around on a dime. It's like, man, my cooking's better, period. I mean, like, usually, like, if you've got characters that are that confident in themselves, 
I mean, I, I think back to like I show 21 where like uh, the character that was kind of like that was Taka, but there was a kind of arrogance to his, his confidence. He was so amazingly confident in himself that everything was boring to him. Mm-hmm. He was like, you know, I'm going to win. So this is boring. But Tsukasa doesn't act that way. He's, you know, he's, there's pride there still. Yeah. So, uh, Azami's like, all right, I think that that covers everything. And then he kind of comes to a re- re- realization. Oh yeah. Before I forget, Irina, you're going to be on our side, right? <laughs> and, uh, someone's like, why do you get to decide that? And, Azami says, well, you don't get to decide either. Central is ruled by the Dean of the Institute and the Council of Ten Masters. As the tenth seat on that council, Arena is officially a member of Central. It is only natural that she should fight against your resistors. And he then goes on to say, come, Arena, your fun and games as a runaway are over. It's time you return to your father. I'm no longer allowing any more of this childish selfishness. Bitch, you were skating down a mountain five minutes ago. For a guy that was drawn that goofily, like, barely ten pages before, all of a sudden, yeah, and that one little panel, you see just the heavy shading, his frickin' iris is a swirl to, you know, illustrate the control he has over her. He went from and, one punch man wow. to Junji Ito in one fucking chapter. I mean, in fairness... You gotta have that with villains, I think. You can't have them be one tone all the time. Or if you do, you've gotta be really creative with it. Well, do it in a for, bunch of different ways. For Food Wars, which kind of hangs itself on being very, like, hyperbole to the point of humor at times. Deliberately parody at times, yeah. So it, it has to just be like, alright, well, eventually Azami has to be such a wack, like, such a horrifyingly awful person that it starts almost being funny when he does something weird, like, go- slightly goofy, just because it's so out of context for him. Right. Uh, so Erina takes a deep breath. And they actually kind of make a joke of it, because she takes a deep breath and she stares at him all determined. And then she takes another deep breath. I got a funny. A little charming. It's a little... And uh, we get a flashback for for Arena, more of a montage than anything else, you know, like uh, where she's named the to the Council of Ten uh, right off the bat, pretty much, which is uh, un- unheard of, um, and uh, like even younger than her father was when he joined the Council of Ten, and. Uh, you know, then being lectured by her father over the special responsibility of bearing the divine tongue, the responsibility to stand at the pinnacle of Totsuki of, of Japan's culinary world. You must follow the same path that I walked and climb the ranks to the council of 10 and beyond. And, uh, then in one big panel, there's just a big collage of all of the moments that she is shared with, with her friends at Totsuki at Polaris, you know, all the different emotions that they've gone through and the experiences that she's had with, with Soma and Isako and Alice and Yoshino, uh, Ikumi, like, uh, confiding in her, uh, in the previous, uh, segment of the tournament, even Hayama's words, uh, before. And, uh, she says, I know what you're implying. So effective immediately, I am relinquishing the 10th seat of the Council of Ten. As of now, I am simply Ariana Nakiri, and there's a big. She strikes this big old dramatic pose, and 
I was like, you're doing this? And she says, if I don't, then I can't say that I am truly their friend to the bottom of my heart. So, big moment for Arena. It's absolutely a big moment for her, and it's it's really well done, too. Uh, I've been uh, rereading Joke, uh, Food Wars from the beginning for something I'm working on, and I've been kind of, like, reminded of how, like, what kind of person Arena was at the start of it, and, like, how, like, vindictive and haughty she was and everything mm-hmm. like that. And you, you get, like, immediately that sense of it just in that one panel of her, like, flipping her hair and, like, proudly, like, strutting off stage. But I love that, that panel of her, like, contemplative for a moment with all the people behind her. And this is kind of what I was talking about last week when I, I mentioned, like, One Piece, that moment with Sanji didn't feel big enough. And I kind of feel like that's what this chapter did. It Like, it felt like it took more time to kind of, like, savor in this moment of a character having this realization that's such a significant kind of moment for them. Because, um, it, it, as you said, it points to, like, just everybody who's helped her. It's not just one shot of Soma. In fact, he's not even really in that one. It's, like, that one he shares with uh, Jirichiro. But, like, you see right. Alice. You see... uh uh, Megumi, you see Bun Hair Girl, you see Nakumi or Ikumi, you see Hayama, like all these characters who have helped her and been friends with her while you know before and after her kind of change with Soma. You see all all those elements how they've changed her now, and then she makes this big stand of finally triumphantly and proudly, I should note, standing up to her father. And I think that's awesome. Like that's exactly what this kind of character moment should be. It should have this this pomp and this circumstance, this two page spread to like just show you how big of a moment this is. So I absolutely love this moment for her. It's 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 one of my favorite definitely uh of the year thus far. And I like the explanation that she offers for it is it's not a matter of you know, I'm not just relinquishing this, you know, just because but if I don't do this, then I'm being a hypocrite. I'm not really actually standing with the people that I'm fighting for. Mm-hmm. It's a symbolic gesture, not just in the fact that she is parting ways with her father, but because of the fact that before she wasn't really dedicating herself to this team. Yeah. And she now- was like taking half measures and she was, she was taking half measures before when you think about it. Uh, she was trying to help her friends to pass, but she was doing it in a way that went by the rules of the academy. She was just teaching them so that they could pass the tests that were laid out in front of them so that they could just keep on getting along. And now she is actually saying, okay, no, I'm cutting my ties to you and I'm going to be directly opposing you. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's this is an extremely well done moment. We also, um, we didn't get this in the English jump because there was no, like, English poll or anything for it. But I, if you recall, several weeks ago, uh, I talked about how there is, was a character popularity poll, and the results of that actually came out in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Arena won the poll. Yeah. Um, not by an incredibly comfortable margin because, uh, she and Alice, and surprisingly enough, Hisako, <laughs> Um, we're all within a couple of hundred of each other. Actually, Hisako was like only a couple dozen ahead of Alice and all of them got over 3000. So they're all right in that range. Uh, and then it was like Soma and Megami, Takumi was up there. Uh, Rindo was up there, which was nice. Um, and, uh, also there's this list of all the weird stuff that got votes too. A lot of them were obviously like, you know, troll votes, like, Oh, I voted for the main character for a different series, or I voted for the author of a different series, or... But some of them are, like, obscure references. Hiroi, that dude from the promotion exam, 
The elementary school-aged girl who was the first person to eat Yuki Hirasoma's omelet at the camp. The small girl that Soma first called out to during the buffet at the camp. <laughs> Just obscure references for, like, you know, nameless characters within the magazine. And most surprisingly, the most popular troll vote, Why Son from Chiba Prefecture with 12 votes. That one guy who voted for Marika and all the Nisuko popularity polls. I'm shocked that he got multiple votes. 12 people! <laughs> now, don't forget the most important thing about this poll, though, Nick. What? They, they give a list of the people who got only one vote. Yes. And the second entry on that list is Honey, is honey Mustard. mustard. Honey Mustard got a vote in the Food Wars popularity poll, and it was printed and showed in Jump. It's spreading, yo. <laughs> Before long, everybody's going to know how glorious Honey Mustard is. One of these, one of these days, so we're going to mention, uh, it's like, oh, you can, you can actually go on, on this page and enter in your own vote and stuff, and there's going to be a write-in, and someone's going to put down Bron Sugar Sitting Pop-Tarts. <laughs> That's what happens next time. <laughs> Well, they can't. Uh, they probably can't put in pop tarts because it's trademark. So put in brown sugar, cinnamon pastries. <laughs> yeah, toaster pastries. Yeah. <sighs> All right, that, we got yeah, that was that was that was food wars. Now we got a shit ton of uh, jump oh, starts. Jump starts. Jump starts. All right, uh, let's start off because I guess we'll just do these in alphabetical order with uh, Oro's diaries. We weren't especially impressed with uh, the first chapter of this series. It's it's about the demon prince trying to live in the human world and learn about humans because he's interested in them. And then demons keep on trying to beat him up, and he punches them. Mm-hmm. Page two. Poro is late. Poro is late to class because he's too busy observing things in the human world, like traffic lights, which are different from the demon world traffic lights, which say, hit him, run him over, run him over again. Because their world is comedically violent. Pretty goddamn hysterical. It's, it's funny. Yes. Um, he is accosted by a hall monitor because he is 30 minutes, 30 seconds rather late. And the guy's like, you're expelled. And Bro's like, why? And the guy whose name is uh, Tadashi is like, because you broke the school rules, but just a little. Ah, but just like killing one person makes you a murderer, being late by 30 seconds means you're tardy. Okay, that's a little funny, equating the two. But um, but Tadashi is so absurdly strict and vindictive against people who break the rules that he gets possessed by a demon who wants to take on Poro, and like he ends up using demonic strength to beat up some bullies that punched him for, uh, you know, rules... And uh, Pearl actually does get a, a kind of cool moment because he realizes that, you know, Tadashi, you know, Mystery Wow would never be that way. You would never uh, abuse his powers this way. But you've been possessed and something is bringing out this anger in you. Taking rules of your own hands to harm people, you aren't capable of that. That's what demons do. So leave him alone and he breaches inside of him and r- rips out the demon and, and then yeah, flicks it away. Seems as though it's the introduction of of a of a new supporting character because we see you know he encounters Tadashi the next day and he scolds him for being late again because he was distracted by a mailbox, um, but he's like, well, you're just late a couple of minutes, it's no big deal. So 
I won't I won't get so obsessed the rules that's you know a demon takes me over again. So they're more friendly at the end after he saved him. They make a joke also about rabbits on the moon. Yes. Yes they do. Uh yeah, I mean it's not a whole tremendous amount to say on this. Uh I guess this is also their way of kind of moving this possibly if it needed to in more of a like shown in like battle shown in way cuz now they've introduced the idea like oh demons can you know take over the body of students as well and you know make them evil so this is like their black gear for Poro to get rid of but I I just I'm still just not sold on this whole thing it just hasn't caught me I mean I like it a little bit better than the previous chapter because I like the stronger side of Poro that's shown here um because it's his whole wide-eyed this is fascinating my world is so scary act is like I don't think it's funny or endearing or anything. This is like, I want to punch him. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, then we got our new jump start, which is called Hungry Marie. Yes. And um, it starts up in kind of a confusing way because we get shots of you know the titular character, Marie, and she's talking about all these foods that she wants to have because she's so hungry. And it's this you know girl in this flowing white dress with Long blonde hair, surrounded by all these black crows. Matilda from Beelzebub, um, basically. If you if you read that at all, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I haven't read that, and I know what you're talking about, but um, but then we cut to a uh, a very different scene, uh, and it's Czar and long setup for this. So I'll try and summarize it the best that I can. Basically, we start off in the past of our two main characters, uh, Anna and Taiga. And uh, Taiga, like, catches sight of Anna coming out of her home, which is this creepy old mansion. And it's, like, love at first sight. Uh, But they're kept separated by their parents and grandparents uh, because Taiga lives in a small Buddhist temple directly next door to this creepy mansion, which is a Catholic church. So they are kept separate from each other because they their parents don't get along with each other because of the religious difference and also because they're very they lead they're not good neighbors. They are very bad neighbors to each other. Um they have conflicts over like, you know, one rings the gong at the same time the church bells are going off and, and all that. They're constantly leaning out and yelling at each other, uh, doing it really douchey ways too. Like this, the, uh, church leader has a freaking megaphone so he can let, so he can yell at, at the other one. So, um, and they're not allowed to talk to each other. Uh, the kids aren't. And this right away is an interesting setup because you've got, uh, not only is there this, you know, religious element, which you don't see a whole lot of uh, in in manga. I mean, uh, there's like stuff that pulls on mythology, certainly, uh, and there's references to Shinto. But in the fact that they live at a temple and a church is rather overt and, and interesting, and also the fact that the two are not incredibly popular religions in Japan. Uh, I think Buddhism is a little bit more uh, than... Some, some people uh, are saying it's uh, Taoist. Is it? Buddhist. That's what people are saying. I might overlook that. And I don't know... And I think if, that that's... Is it explicitly said it's a Catholic church as well? 
I don't think that they say Catholic. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I think it's just meant to be it some is, denomination Dallas, of Christianity. So. Yeah, some denomination of Christianity, but I don't know which one specifically. I don't know why I said Buddhist either, but Taoist is more rare than Buddhism. Okay. Taoism is, is rare than Buddhism in Japan. It's, it's, I think, like Shinto and then Buddhism. I'm not sure. I don't know, like, the freaking division of it. Like, Christianity is, like, not unheard of in Japan, but it's, you know, not the most common thing. Uh, I have no idea. I assumed it went like uh, like Yu-Gi-Oh! Egyptian worship, and then like the next level down was just One Piece, and then after that it was, I don't know, like, uh, I don't know, Zawinism? Is that even a thing? I just made up a word. I kind of Zawinism? I assumed they were all on board with that. I really, I just assumed everybody's into the Egyptian Yu-Gi-Oh! God worship. Everyone, like, holds their slifer for the Sky Dragon next to their heart. He's uh, coming back, Nick. The most okay, according to Wikipedia, so grain of salt here, uh folk Shinto or not religious is how more than half of Japanese people were bored. Hmm. Then thirty four percent is Buddhism, four percent is flat out Shinto organizations, two point three percent is Christianity, and the rest is no answer. So Taoism doesn't even freaking register out there. So um Okay. Yeah. So quite rare for both for both of them. Yeah, and it, it is interesting that it's a you know a religious element that's put on top of this like you know Romeo Romeo and Juliet s kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, it's like Nisekoi, but instead of warring mob bosses, it's warring religion, which is a little bit more taboo, but yet at the same time a little bit more interesting to kind of see. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some interesting comedy that happens uh, during this setup because, like. It's a, there's some self-aware humor uh, as we're setting up the, who the characters are. Like, Taiga's got uh, some friends, and uh, they're, they're, it, it looks like for a second he's going to assist uh, this gang with his martial arts abilities. And he's like, no, this isn't that type of story. Uh, it, uh, one of his friends comes along, and, it, and it's, they start talking about it. And I was like, no, it's not that type of story either. No, this is my love story. It's not the story about getting, about a partying playboy. It's not the tale of the high school kung fu delinquent. This is my love story. He confessed to Anna. Um, and by random circumstance, he, he, they happen to come across each other while they're both on their way to school. And, uh, so he's thinking to himself, ah, I could confess my love to her, but I don't know if I should do that. And instead of having a shoulder angel and a shoulder demon, like, councils, like, appear on either side of him, like, at tables, it's, it's a little weird. Yeah, I guess it's like, apparently his angel and devil are out right now, so it's like the councils are there, they're like, dad, (laughs) devil daddy's not here, do it, do it, do it, bro! Also, one of them has a ridiculous mustache. <laughs> um, but before he can decide what to do, Anna is like, I will summon her. And she takes out this carpet with a freaking summoning circle drawn on and starts laying out these these candles and stuff. And she starts chanting. And uh, Doug is like, what's going on? And she realizes she's being watched. And... Then she gets really embarrassed, rolls up, rolls up everything, and and starts to leave. And she's like, "Did you see it?" And Tiger's like, "No." <laughs> Just throws the freaking briefcase into his fucking head. <laughs> I love the uh, like just the the pacing, the comedic pacing of that of like her realizing it, 
And then there's just two panels of her looking over her shoulder, like identical panels of just her looking over her shoulder. Then very quickly, like the blushing, and then there's fur, 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 fur. all right. <laughs> you didn't say anything, right? No, 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 I didn't. You liar! <laughs> Um, so, she says, like, okay, well, you know what I'm, what I'm up to now. And Tiger's like, yeah, it's necromancy, like, necromancy is cool, who are you trying to beat back? And, uh, she says, a princess of a royal family. But, since you've witnessed what I'm doing, you have to come with me now. And he's like, what are you talking about? And she says, if by accident someone gets to know our secret, I must force them to become an accomplice. That way they won't be able to talk. Makes sense to me. Dag is just like, okay. <laughs> because this is his chance to get to know Alan. Yeah. So, he's like, not? sweet. So, um, she brings him to her home slash the church. And, um, uh, her father is like, oh, you're here, Anna. And I was like, yes, and I brought the final piece, the sacrifice she's leading Taika in for Kanana Rope. He's <laughs> Well, I'm sure that this isn't what he had in mind. Maybe um, it was. Maybe he's like, this day's going great. <laughs> this is great. I get to die, sweet. <laughs> little, so, little, yeah, kinky, the, little kinky fun before I go? Kinky role play, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm your bad um, little sacrifice. She's like, yes, you are. You're going to be disemboweled. He's like, yeah, it's a little more real than I usually like it, but all right, let's go with this. So, like, uh, after Anna explains the situation to her father, she, he, he says, well, so- sorry, Taiga Bichogi. I mean, I, I need you to forget everything that you saw, you know, things you, that you heard. Uh, and also, I need you to be the sacrifice <laughs> instead of the chicken thigh we bought on sale for 389 yen. It's like, well, this five dollar, this less than five dollar chicken I bought was meant to be the sacrifice to bring this resurrection. Not to a life. live chicken, a chicken thigh. <laughs> the cheapest sacrificial ritual ever. He's like, look, I want to bring her back, but I want to be thrifty about it. And he's like, why don't you just use the chicken thighs? Like, well, what if we just end up summoning some cheap ghost? You were planning to do that. <laughs> That's where the god the, from, like, Full Metal Alchemist who shows up with the whole equivalent exchange is like, I don't know, what do I take that you tried to offer me $4 for? I guess I take your mustache and, like, I make it, like, I don't know, just a piece of chicken on top. You fucking, this, I can't even be, like, vindictive to you. There's nothing for me to be angry about here. You're trying to offer me $5 worth of raw chicken. <sighs> And uh, the father starts to kind of explain himself a little bit by saying, like, you know, we have no choice to, you know, to operate in secret. And he says, like, oh, well, I mean, we, we aren't going to kill you. No, we just want to beat the crap out of you to make sure you forget everything. Again, very straightforward, very clear. I like that. Um, and then he says, we have to say remain in secret, though, because necromancy is heresy in the church. But as the Sagamia clan, we have a noble obligation to fulfill. The last princess of Royaume de France, the resurrection of her of her highness, Marie Therese Charlotte. We must bring her back. Uh, and he starts to explain this story. I shall teach you our history before I send you to meet your maker. And he explains that uh, we we were part of a clan that served under Queen Marie Antoinette, and uh, some say that their noble works were even carried out by the Versailles or something like that. You mean the Versailles? No, shut up. <laughs> No, it's different. 
Um, but basically right around the time of the French Revolution, Her Majesty was concerned about her child's future. I'm surprised that Marie Antoinette is the one getting this tragic backstory. <laughs> She's like one of the least popular rulers in freaking European history. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so she was concerned about her child's future. And so she apparently gambled the black magic of resurrection, a grim, a grimoire in order to try and use it as, uh, you know, leverage in order to get money. And, um, they lost it. So, like, it's like, it sounds like freaking drunk idiot rambling. You shut the fuck you on about. You guys are all idiots. Don't do this to me. What are you going to do? Can't win them all. Uh, but her father says, ah, long last we have figured it out. A way to bring a soul that was once lost back to this world. This is a memento from Her Royal Highness, and we will attach her soul to it. And and Anna brings in this stuffed dog with a bow around its neck, and, and uh, her father says, The ritual will begin at midnight, and so I will leave you until then. Um, and a little bit of bonding takes place between Anna and Ty, because I was like, seriously, what the fuck are you guys doing? This is ridiculous. This is crazy. You, I mean, look, you know, are you seriously just helping your dad just because, I mean, my grandma forced me to help her with real witch rolls too, so you can say so. And she says, no, I can see her all the time. She's always standing on the roof of the church and you may not believe me, but the girl always looks, the girl always looks so sad. She's so quiet. And after I learned her name, I always thought that one day I would get to talk to her in person. So my reasoning is different. It's my own will. And, uh, Tiger's like, you know, this sucks that I got beaten up and tied up and I'm forced to be sacrificed and everything, but I'm still happy I could talk with you. And I was like, what are you talking about? And Tiger says, well, just like you, I've always wanted to talk to you because I've liked you ever since we met. And it's this big, dramatic, uh, sh- heavily shadowed two-page spread that this happens in as lightning flashes in the background and lights up the room that they're in. And, uh, Anna blushes again because, you know, he's just confessed to her. And he says, it was as though I'd been struck by lightning. And then pans back and shows, um, he was, uh, struck by lightning. (laughs) (laughs) There's just a smoldering fucking crater where he was. There's a hole in the roof from where lightning came through. And it's like, but was so stunned by the long confession, she didn't notice at first. Then she realizes that his ashy remains are all that's left. She looks up, sees the the hole in the roof, and she's like, what What happened? And her father rushes in. It's like, oh, that lightning. Holy crap, it did hit us. Amazing. And um, they're like, oh, you mean Taika was those chicken thighs. We had two pieces, right? (laughs) All he cares about is he got to have the chicken for the sacrifice. He's like, I didn't just lose that on five dollars, did I? And I was like, no, father, it's not that. Oh, don't worry, sweetheart, an extra solar two doesn't matter. Thank goodness his bag is safe. <laughs> you can use this in there. I'm getting the feeling, too, that, like, the fucking soup he just made or whatever is probably cheap as shit, too. <laughs> He's just a real bargain scraper. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but all of a sudden, they hear... Uh, a scuffle coming from beneath the crater. And, uh, he's, oh, they're like, oh, he's alive. 
and I hear a voice saying, oh, it's like the world went white. Where am I? What's happened? And uh, then coming out, uh, climbing out, it's Taija Bijogi, but he has the appearance of Marie. So all of a sudden, it's revealed that this is a body switch gender change story, which was rather unexpected. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it seemed almost, like, obvious from the way that the series was started. That I was like, oh, like, so the next-door neighbor of his is going to be this hungry Marie girl or whatever, mm-hmm. like, some, something or like there's that. Going to be, or there'll be, like, a love triangle involving the spirits of this girl that she sees, uh, something like that, maybe. Or just the way that they, she'd be into it. If it was going to have an effect on anyone, it would certainly be on his neighbor, since she already kind of looks like her, just the hair is right. done up. Uh, but no, the fact that he's the one turning into her... I guess I thought it was like, I was. I, I thought it was like, this is the most original idea ever, and then people were like, what do you mean? There's like Rambo not- one half, Camphor, like it's not like there's never been series about dudes who turn into chicks, it's probably a soul genre, and I'm like... I guess you're right, but it's still unique. <laughs> Especially because a lot of those are, you know, weird, goofy comedies, too. But the way that we got there was quite interesting, I think. Yeah, I, I, I definitely dug it for that reason enough, um, and I had a lot of fun with it. So I, this is a pretty interesting little angle to go with. I like this guy's humor. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious to see what this series is about. Um uh, Beelzebub had a lot of really strong moments to it, so I'm hoping that this one, since it doesn't have to necessarily be like that absurdist comedy at times, it's able to develop into an interesting way, and hey, we'll see what happens. This is certainly an interesting direction to go with, if nothing else. As someone who has never read Beelzebub, um, I was quite pleased by a lot of the humor in the chapter. It's just so weirdly off the wall. Just this, it's such a biz, it's such a weird, goofy thing going on, the interaction uh, with Anna and her father where he's just talking about, it's like, we need you for a sacrifice and you shall replace that cheap chicken pie we got on sale. That's so weird. I need it. Alright, um, but with that said, another thing, one of the things I appreciate about it is that it feels like it accomplished a lot in one chapter, especially in terms of setting up the premise. And then, for our last of the jump starts this week, we get U19, which still has, at the end of this, we still don't have the entire story of what's going to happen in this series. Like, a lo- it seems like it's got, we've gone a long ways to set up this whole situation. At the end, it's like, it doesn't seem like we really know any more than we did at the end of the previous chapter, I don't think. Uh, we got enough from this to get, I guess, the idea, but this really was three chapters to do the one chapter kind of intro, because that's the way the first chapter, or this chapter ends, is how I'd imagine the first chapter was like, here's what the future is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, last last time we saw that AG was getting his libido power awakened while the car was being taken away, the red thread with the needle came out of his pinky, um, and then we see Mr. Tani, the homeroom teacher, appear and, uh, grab Eiji so that he can't try and prevent a car from being taken away anymore. And, uh, you know, they're trying to scold Eiji, saying, come on, you know, stop bothering Sakino. You need to stop being such a burden to her. 
And Akari objects by saying, well, I like the burden. You know, I, I, don't, I don't care about all this stuff. You know, uh, how I feel, what makes me happy, how can you decide on that? I'm happy being with you, A.G. And this gives A.G. renewed determination. And uh, Mr. Tani is like, see, come on, she's stupid. She won't make it in the world if she doesn't have this advantage. Just let her go uh, because otherwise she can't succeed in her because she's such a stupid idiot. And Look at this big dumb dumb. Yeah. And AG's like, don't you dare talk about her like that. And he clenches his fist, and as he does so, the needle coming out of his finger whips behind him and freaking pierces Tani through the freaking tongue. It's uh, kind of metal. Quite explicit, too, because it takes up a huge amount of, of uh, the panel. It doesn't and, just go through uh, his tongue. It, it gets him through the jaw, too. It goes, it through, the, at his goes face. through the cheek, stitches his mouth shut completely. And AG's like, oh, well, I don't know what's really going on here, but uh, connect with the car. And he tries to use it to reach out towards her. And all of a sudden, Nanami, the um, super stern, perfect kid who was in their class before, comes flying in and socks AG across the jaw and knocks him to the ground, stops him from getting away. And um, Mr. Tiny's like, ha, 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 that's done. Uh, well, she's off now. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Akari is flown away. AJ can't stop. Stop it. He goes, ah! And, uh, Nami is like, I'll take care of things from here. Uh, AJ is really pissed off. Nami beats him up, knocks him unconscious. Uh, AJ has dreams of Akari running away from him. Uh, he wakes up. He's in the secret base with, uh, two other weird kids. And uh, Nami shows up later, and he's the secret leader of the resistance. Um, and uh, that's essentially the chapter. We get a bit of interaction between them, um, but not really a whole lot. Uh, but yeah, they they're like, yeah, we're we're Garage Kids Branch Five. Welcome. Uh, we're you, you. If you want to bring Akari back, then you should join us and help us bring down the Corona Party. Yeah, um, I this premise could be unique. I, 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 well, I should say could be unique. It's it's unique enough that I'm like, okay, I can see why you feel the reason to make a whole manga about it. I, I don't know if I'm completely sold on this three chapter buildup. Uh, I guess it does give uh, appropriate amount of development to show between the our two leads and you know the the love interest who got away and they were able to announce their love for one another. So it. It feels a little bit more significant, I guess you could say, but I don't know, just overall, I definitely left this chapter being like, huh, okay. Like, I I don't know, I'm kind of curious to see how this series fares in Japan. Um, I thought I heard somebody say that maybe this author has a little bit of leeway, because that's why he was able to do, like, three chapters, essentially, to build this premise up. Like, maybe they have confidence that this series will work, but I don't know, just... Overall, I definitely didn't come out of this being like, man, I can't wait to read more. I'd be like, okay, I mean, this this series definitely has potential, but I right. just don't know if I was sold on the three-chapter kind of intro on this. Yeah, I feel like people might get kind of burned out on it because it seems like it's taken a while to really get to the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, it's intriguing. The art is good, but I don't know. I, I, I feel like... Um, this chapter left me very 
with very little enthusiasm for what's coming ahead because it's like I don't really feel like I know anymore. Uh, his threat power is kind of cool. I like how visceral it is, but that's really about it. Yeah. And uh, it does it for the jump starts. We'll uh, we'll get more from uh, Poro and Hungry Mary uh, next week, along with uh, what's the next one we were getting? Uh, Doctor Stone. That's the one from uh, the Ice Shield guy. Okay. Um. All right. So what the, what the hell is up next? I'm a little confused because of all uh, the got I think we were Promise Neverland, right? I thought we were going to put in Boruto yeah, and Astra right. first, so. Right, okay. Let's just do that. Let's get all of our temp stuff out of the way. Uh, Boruto, right? Yes. Okay, so uh, this is basically the wrap-up chapter for uh, the previous arc. This is kind of the conclusion of the movie, from what I've been told, what I hear. Um, and, uh, you know, we see, like, you know, Sasuke and Naruto, like, you know, talking about how, about Boruto, uh, they talk about, oh, this, this soul of a shinobi, blah, blah, blah. Um, Naruto kind of, Boruto rather, jumps off by himself and he's, and he's like, what is this feeling? And, uh, Naruto is calling out for him. He's like, you know, hey, we're leaving. And then he, Boruto he, hears, you can sense me, human child. And he sees, uh, what was his name? Freaking Hakaromo, I think. The demon guy. Uh, Momoshiki, there it is. And, uh, he's like, yes, I see you carry Byakugan blood. And he calls out for, uh, Boruto calls out for his, for his father. And he realizes, oh, time has been stopped. And Momoshiki says, I wasn't able to see my own fate, even with all my powers and the Byakugan. I can see yours quite well, though. Beware. Those blue eyes shall eventually take everything from you. And know this. Those who defeat gods cannot remain ordinary individuals. Reflect well upon thy fate as you walk it, human child. Woo! I mean, okay. It's all super ominous and stuff. I get it. And, um... We just kind of, like, we don't even really see, like, Boruto, like, react to this beyond going, like, just looking at his hands, like, uh. And, uh, then we cut ahead a bit. We see, uh, Shikadai talking with his team some. It's, God, I'm, the thing that throws me off most about this is seeing adult Moegi. It's just, it feels like she and, uh, Udon, I think was his name. The other one of Konohama, of Konohamaru's old crew. It feels like they should not be in positions of responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> that they should still just be like gaining at this point. You're like, oh yeah, yeah you're just like the 28 year old gaining. Yeah. Um, um, let's see here. Uh, they're just kind of talking about random or about random crap before before uh, Moe comes in and, and gets them back in gear. I don't think that they actually say anything like plot relevance. Although Chocho says the bizarre line because uh, you know Shikadai basically apparently did well in the exam and got attention put on him, and uh, she was like, well, "Look, whatever. I gotta try hard every so often, or my dad will lose face, and I don't want to lose to to Boruto." And Chocho says, ah, it's like how hot girls just won't be left alone. 
and you got to open the bag to eat the chips. Yeah, that's a hundred percent what things are like. You nailed it. It's what. Are you just one giant fat joke? Is that what this is? <laughs> we then cut to uh, Gara and Kankuro and their students about to leave on a train, which was a little surprising. It's just so weird whenever like a new piece of technology shows up in Naruto world. It's like, huh, they've got computers now. Huh, they've got trains now. Okay. <laughs> huh, all right, I guess they have uh, iPhones suddenly. All right, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, as they're about to get on the train, Shinki, the uh, basically leader of their students, is is kind of distracted. And he's like, ah, I'm just thinking about Boruto. He's foolish and reckless and was just a trivial low-level ninja, yet he stood his ground against a mighty, foe he couldn't, uh, a mighty foe he couldn't hope to defeat and took him down. And Kankuro's like, oh, yeah, well, you just kind of, like, jerked off by yourself. <laughs> he's like, yeah, if you didn't suck so much, maybe you could have gotten things done. He's like, hey, come on! But, uh, you know, Gara's like, hey, you know, I told you to hold back. I, I didn't allow you to fight. And she says, no, no, that's not it. So, you know, without, I, regardless of where you permitted me, I had no hope of winning that battle. And, uh, but some of the other students are like, hey, if you went up against Borzo, you'd win, right? Uh, and Shiki just doesn't really have a reply to this. And Gara says, ah, oh, you know, puts on his freaking sage mustache and uh, says, uh, you don't need to be impatient. From my view as Kage, you have all just started your own paths. Focus on the road ahead, not those of the not the steps of those who walk beside you. You need to first learn that your shinobi way stretches far into the distance. Sounds lame. Hey, shut, shut up. up. <laughs> shut up. It sounds kind of weird for Gara to be delivering that line. I think. I mean, it makes sense. He's he's gotten older. Um, I kind of always see Gara as being like. Um, one kind of emotional level. Like, I always kind of see, like, even though he wouldn't be evil, he's always still going to be kind of, like, a low energy to the way he does things. Whereas this seems like oh, almost a little bit of cockiness to it, but it may just be the way it's drawn. Um, who is this? This is what the that guy's team then? Uh, what, Shinky? Gara? Stop saying that name because I really, every time I'm like, is Nick using racial epitaphs on the stream? Nick, you can't do that! <laughs> Um, yeah, is that, I guess, that girl with, like, the tube top hoodie and the guy with the mask? Are those his teammates? Oh, my God, that is a tube top of, uh, under a hoodie, isn't it? Jesus. I know. I was like, wow, that's a pretty cool-looking outfit. That's, but that's weird. I don't, <laughs> that's, I don't feel like it'd be practical for ninjas, but whatever. And uh, are those his team or are those his siblings? Because Gara's adopted kid now, I believe. They are. I, th- I think that they are all, I believe that they mentioned they are all Gara's adopted kids. Okay. So, like, there, that had to come a point where he had to say, like, listen, I know you're just my adopted daughter, but I don't know if I could allow you to go outside <laughs> in a tube top that isn't, like, at least zip the hoodie up most of the way. I'm is not that sure. A, is that a belly ring? It's hard to tell in the panels that we see her in if that is a tube top or not. I forget if we got a better look at it or if, like, I'm sure she's, like, shown up in the movie and someone can tell me if it is supposed to be or not. But it it feels like it's like too high to cover what it's supposed to, so maybe it's just the design on a shirt she's wearing under it. No, because you can see her belly button. Can you though? Yes, is that her very, belly button. Very clearly, is that her belly button, or is it the wrinkle of a shirt? 
it's her belly button. It's just too high. <laughs> like it doesn't. <laughs> that's what I, that's my point. The proportions are incorrect. I don't know. I. <sighs> Whatever, it's not important. No, Nick, we're not moving forward till we address this. Everyone's Go like, fruit. <laughs> Why do you guys care? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it was an observation that was made, and no, it must be discovered if it's true. I want to point out. I'm, I want to point out. I don't actually have a position of this. I'm simply doubtful about it. So, um, we cut to the Uzumaki household where housewife Hinata is presenting dinner and is sent up her son's jacket because that's all she does anymore. I'm not upset that, like, I'm not, okay. I'm not saying that, like, women can't have domestic roles, cause hashtag feminism or anything like that. But it is weird to see that almost every single Kono, Konoha female character that was an active ninja has now become a housewife from the knowledge that we know of. Like, mm-hmm. Sakura, Hinata, it looked like Tamari. Seemingly all of them have settled into that role. It, it's just kind of weird to me. Yeah, no, and I, I completely get that. It is a little bit strange. Now, to be fair, this is just, because it's kind of interesting. We finally, I guess, have now just gotten to the finally the point where the movie didn't cover it anymore. Like, we're so this is like going to be like original story, I think, from this point forward? Yeah, because I, I definitely have heard they're intending to do more, and that's the plan. So with that logic under our belt, we could say like, oh, okay, maybe there's a whole lot more planned, and like those mm-hmm. characters will be more prominent. But yeah, essentially the only major characters from the previous part that are still like actively doing anything are Naruto, Sasuke, and I guess Shikamaru's dad. Or Shikamaru, rather. So <laughs> Shikamaru's dad's dead. <laughs> so hey, just... we don't know. He could be like a shadow ghost out there keeping Hiden locked in that uh, fucking pit. But uh, they're, they're having a discussion that because Hinata has repaired Boruto's jacket, the, the original jacket that he had as opposed to the one that he borrowed from Naruto. And uh, the shoulder's been sewn up now. And she's like, are you sure you just don't want a new jacket? And Bart is like, yeah, it's cooler like this. Which, I mean, you know, it's like, okay, that's cool. You know, he's got a memento of, of his experience as a ninja, and he's proud of that. So eh, that's a nice little detail. Mm-hmm. And uh, Boruto and Naruto head off. Uh, and uh, Boruto's like, yeah, I'm going on a mission, and uh, you have fun work, too. And, uh Yeah. We there's a weird moment where we see that Boruto is in like an ad now, and broadcast in like the New York City displays that are in Kanaha now. Um, and he's like, "Yeah, teamwork and guts and experience, blah 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 blah." And uh, he's with his team, and they're kind of chiding him. It's like, "Wow, you've had a lot of freaking promotions and interviews to do since since you got popular, huh?" And so I was like, "Yeah, even though you cheated." <laughs> <laughs> I got the let him forget it. Yeah, just like, no, we're not going to just forgive you because you saved the town. No, you assholes. <laughs> Dude, you cheated, like, very publicly. <laughs> you were. He's like, I apologize for that, so can't you drop it? No. It's like, yeah, but the dude, still dick move. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, what's it? Mitsuki s- says, though, I mean, I think that, you know, you're worthy of being the Lord Fourth's grandson and Lord Seven's son, and hey, maybe even the next Tokage. And Serata, when she hears that, is like, do you, do you want to be Hokage, Boruto? And Boruto thinks about it for a second. He's like, no, I don't. And he, and this is probably my favorite part, of, one of my favorite parts of this series that we've gotten so far, because he turns this around and says, well, you've got to be the Hokage, right? I'll be your, your right hand man and I'll work to protect you. Because, you know, 
being Hokage is just one track to me. And just because my grandfather and, and my dad were Hokage doesn't mean I've got to do that, too. Like, that's really cool. Yeah, no, I like I'm, that. I like that this series is immediately going to buck that idea and be like, no, this is a story about Serata being the Hokage and Boruto. He's going to find his own path. He so. says that he says he wants to be a shinobi like your dad. He wants to be like Sasuke, which after seeing Sasuke in action in this story, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he seems like a pretty cool dude. Go for it. <laughs> Just don't take the same path he took. Try not to be an asshole. Um, so, I mean, it's a cool moment for Boruto, and I mean, I, I, I'm really, really happy with what we've gotten out of this series so far, and I'm looking forward to what to what's ahead for us because, I mean. The, la- the first, like, half of this story that we've gotten to this point, we were really ragging on Boruto for being a little shit. Yeah, well, to be fair, he was, but... He was a little shit, but he has matured, and so I'm appreciative of that. Mm. Um, what I'm not quite so appreciative of, it's not that suddenly Serata has a crush on Boruto, because now he's acting cooler, so that's fine. It's cool that she has that sense of admiration for him and whatever. It's the fact that she has this sense of... I know he gets so cool. Right when he says... I want to be a shinobi like your dad. I mean, Mm. isn't that a thing? Don't all little girls want to eventually grow up to marry guys like their dad? Isn't that like a thing? That's a, that's a thing. That's like a weird, creepy joke. It's called, it's called the Electra complex. Um, whereas like based based on Marvel's Electra. No, Uh that's who she's named after. That's horseshit. She's the first original character ever named Electra. Uh, because Oedipus had a had a daughter named Electra, so the Oedipus complex for girls is the Electra complex. Um, so it's unfortunate timing there, where Boruto has this really cool character defining moment, and he wraps the whole thing up with "I want to be like your dad," and that's where she goes. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "Yeah, you do." <laughs> it's like, wait, what's happening? Can I call you daddy? <laughs> I feel like I need an adult now. <laughs> Uh, so, um, and, uh, then she has another weird moment where, where she suddenly, cause she's paying a lot of attention to Boruto all of a sudden and staring at him and she's like, eh, your eyes, they're even bluer than Lord Seven's. And that makes Boruto remember, he's like, remember your blue eyes shall take everything from you. <laughs> it's a really, it's a really weird moment. <laughs> well, I guess it's meant to be that. The side of him that the blue eyes come from, I forget which side. I guess it would be his dad's side. It's so, from Naruto, yeah. So I guess, like, the Uzumaki blood within him, or maybe it's his mother's blood? Cause did, did he get his eyes from his mother? Well, Momoshiki observed two different things about his eyes. He said, those blue eyes shall take everything from you. But he also said, the Byakugan blood runs through you, mm-hmm. which he get, would have gotten from the Hyuga. So, blue eyes from his dad, and then Byakugan, this, like, I guess he's carrying the Byakugan gene or whatever from his mother. So. I think eyes, he heard it, and he was Surprisingly like, oh. enough, eyes play a big role in the lore of a Naruto series. <laughs> Another Naruto character with special eyes. Better mm. get them fucking uh, 1-800-contacts. I like to think he heard, like, your blue eyes are so big, and that you guys started like really. <gasps> Holy shit! I need to get home and play Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> it's been so long. Like, he's running home on that fucking white lightning. <laughs> that fucking Ninja Scroll Game Boy that they have for some reason now. 
If he ends up, if he ends up luring the Chidori because he idolizes Sasuke and goes like, God damn it, blue eyes, lightning attack, shit. <laughs> I can't avoid this. <laughs> he gets a dragon shaped jet. I'm like, alright, I guess, I guess this is stop being subtle now. <laughs> just call me Kaiba Man. I'm like, alright. Now this is, now this is just plagiarism, isn't it? Konohamaru shows up and he's, and he uh, leads the team off to go on their mission. Uh, Boruto trails behind a little bit and he removes the bandage from his hand so that he can look at this black diamond that's now shown up on it. Uh, since the encounter that he had with Momoshiki. Um, but, uh, you know, he, and he, of course, he remembers the warning again and he thinks to himself, fate, I won't remain ordinary. Bring it on. Whether a fate or a curse, go ahead and try interfering with my shinobi way. I never planned to be ordinary anyway. After all, I'm a ninja. I said it before, but this isn't a tale about a boy who aims to become Okage. That was my dad's story. This is my story. It's gonna have so. dragons and fireballs. It's gonna be cool. It's gonna be hip. It's not your daddy's ninja story. <laughs> There's a fat girl who talks about how fat she is. We're progressive. As opposed to a guy who talks about how fat he is. <laughs> we allow all body types of women in Naruto, in Boruto, but the ones who are a little bit big will remind you of that fact as frequently as possible. It's sort of like saying, like, yeah, we've got diversity in Avengers. Not all the women are curvaceous. And it's like, oh, Big Bertha's over here. Big Bertha, what do you feel like tonight? Church cake! It's like, thanks, Big. <laughs> thanks, Big B. <laughs> Overall, though, this was one of my favorite chapters of Boruto, I think, overall. And uh, certainly the best one that we've had in the last couple of months of it running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, um, I'm, I'm quite glad that uh, we're going to get more of it coming along. Yeah, I definitely dug it. Um, I mean, I'm intrigued to see what this series does when it's it's off the leash of the mo- what the movie forced it to do. And now it's, it's kind of free to right. go at it. Yeah, we'll see what kind of effect that has on it. Uh, all right. Uh, the Promised Neverland, uh, chapter uh, hold two. Hold on, Nick, I'm sorry we had No. Astra lost in space. Damn it! <laughs> Fuck. Fucking Oops. making me look foolish on the things that we agreed <laughs> upon like, previously. We established this at the start, I don't... Agreed upon ten minutes ago, too? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be... <laughs> Astro Lost in Space, Chapter 26. Last time, Charse uh, was suspicious because he claimed to be in a biology class with Ares, and Ares didn't remember him. Ares has photographic memory, so now suspicion is being laid upon him. Uh, but Charse says, no, I actually am taking biology. Uh, you know, come on, who remembers everyone in their class? When you forget a few people, and Ares is like, I'm not very smart, but... <laughs> uh, she's like, but, you know, I have photographic memory, so explain yourself. And uh, Shara says, come on, guys. But... All right, fine. I'm a transfer student. I transferred to Carid later than Ares did. I arrived literally right before the camp started. And everyone's like, what, seriously? Right before camp? That's that's weird. And he says, yeah, uh, my first day at the school was July 1st, and there was no biology class held between then and July 4th, which was the day that we left for camp. I was informed ahead of time that camp would begin right away for me. They told me I was included because they wanted to have students from a variety of backgrounds. So, yeah. Uh, any other questions? And they're like, Yes. <laughs> no, why no, you t- no, no questions. All right, bye. Okay. Any questions? No, bye. <laughs> He's like, I Sean know. Spicer. Sean Spicer will be answering all the questions for me. <laughs> 
You transfer into the class, period. That's it. End of discussion. Get just, out. Just slams the podium over and leaves. Like, all right, well, that wasn't really helpful. Uh, Charles like, look, I didn't think that this information was necessary to give out. Come on. And uh, Kitari says, like, okay, Ares brought up that she had transferred in. And at that point, that would have been natural for anyone else who had transferred recently to bring that up, too. So the fact that you were quiet at that point is actually suspicious. And uh, Ares tries to be diplomatic and says, come on, like, you know, we're bothered that you didn't trust us enough to actually share this information with us. I thought we were friends. And Zach kind of steps into Charles' defense. He says, look, everyone is free to leave as much information aside as they choose. You can be as open or as closed as you wish. That said, the fact that you transferred in right before the camp started, I mean, if you say that, of course we're going to think that you're the assassin who was put yeah. into our group. Uh, so, at, at that point, <laughs> Kanata just like, you should tell us, Charles. what if I refuse? I'm going to lock you up then. <laughs> so, diplomatic approach, captain's approach. He's like, we'll do this um, fairly. But to be free, to be fair, if you don't follow our rules, I I mean, come on, I'll just beat the shit out of you. So Charles says, "All right, fine. Um, look, but I, I, fine, I'll share this information with you um, because you're my friends. I was born and raised in the Imperial District of Vixia." And everyone's like, "What was going? What really? What?" And uh, what was her name? Friend. Little girl, whatever. It's like <laughs> little she's girl. Like, little girl. She, she's like, "What's a Vixi?" And uh, Kiteri says, "Well, it's it's the district where the kings and nobles live in the world, and it's kind of secretive." Um, and uh, he's Charles says, "Yes, I was born into a noble family, but I abandoned them and fled from my fled from my home district." Um, and uh, he we get this big flashback explaining, in 1963, after a brutal two-month war that effectively destroyed all of civilization, a new world government was established that unified the world. Nations were abolished and the land reorganized into districts, including District 12. And, like, seriously. <laughs> how, how can I hear this information and not go, Hunger Games! <laughs> it's a lot to take in immediately, too. Be like, very, all right. <laughs> suddenly, like, by the way, the last 50 years of history are completely different in this universe. Just want to bring that up. <laughs> like, I know every, like, in every way this is a much more futuristic series, but then there's like this one kingdom that I guess is like fucking medieval England and shit. And they're full of douchebag nobles. <laughs> um, and uh, we see that, uh, yeah, in, in this freaking perfect paradise for the nobles, uh, the, we see... Charles in his youth, and he uh, sneaks uh, out, out of this opening between, like, a crack in the wall, and meets up with his friend, this uh, peasant girl named Sayla. And uh, so, you know, he's, he's he, like, dressed up in fancy clothes so that he can lead her through his own district so that they can go around. Uh, but she ends up bumping into a guard who recognizes that she's not f from the noble district. He's like, oh, she's a commoner. Uh, so, Yagara is like, you know, how did she get in here? And Charles is like, I let her in. Where'd you sneak in? Trespasser, illegal entry. Come with us. You have to leave. 
and uh, he's you know grabbing her, and so she bites him in self defense, and he's like, "Filthy peasant!" Just freaking backhands her. It's like, how do you how do you accidentally backhand a child right so off hard <laughs> that she flies backwards over the barricade of the wall and onto the freaking concrete floor below? So of course she like, goes into a coma, bedridden, and uh, Charles is. Of course, incredibly upset upset about this. You know, he, he, he that he yelled at the guards. He yelled at his father over this, and uh, you know, his father's like, "You are no British. You must be dignified." It's like, but father, I wasn't even old enough to want to hit that yet. Come on, Dad, <laughs> you gotta help a guy out here. Car blocked me before I even knew I wanted it. <laughs> You're a real fuck, Dad. <laughs> but uh, he says the nobility are just animals being kept in a zoo. I'm going to live my life in freedom. And there's an awkward kind of moment because he's like, you know, bringing stuff to, to Sela, you know, like sharing information he's learned about her. And it's like, hey, Sela, today I'm going to teach you about koalas. Eucalyptus leaves have a high concentration of toxins and hard to digest. So koalas are very, uh, take a very long time to break them down. So it's a time sleeping 20 hours every day. Ha <laughs> ha. Isn't that strange? Koalas are kind of like you. They just sleep all day. Like, Kind of They're not doing anything. <laughs> it's like, could you come in with happier fucking things? Not like every- just like sits up. He's like, today I'm gonna read. The- <laughs> today I'm gonna read the story of Snow White. She uh, she was this girl who always slept, kind of just like you. All right, actually, this is depressing me. Okay, it's just everything he brings in is some variation of oh, it's about a person who sleeps and doesn't do anything else, just like you. <laughs> I really shouldn't have stumbled into that section of the library. <laughs> I mean, there's so many books there. I found the TV tropes page that fit just perfectly for this, and yeah. I kind of feel like taking advantage of it. Um, and uh, he he recaps like, okay, I look, I so he he left behind his home district four years after the accident. Sela's family moved out without telling me where they were going. I'm sure Sela would still be sleeping quietly wherever they took her. Not long afterwards, I made the decision to leave Vixia, too. I don't care about the nobility, and I don't intend to ever return. An acquaintance of a distant relative lived in Mosinish, I think, and adopted me. Thanks to her, I was able to enroll in Cared at a dormitory where I could live. So, Lacroix is my adoptive mother's name. It's not actually mine. So, sorry I didn't bring this up. I have lost my childhood friend. I left my childhood home. This is my family. I had only just started a new and strange life when I suddenly found myself on this trip. Little time to adjust. So I just couldn't bring myself to talk about it, so I'm sorry. And it pans back from him, and everyone just like, ah! well, for all, I was gonna say, all the girls are crying. <laughs> all the well, all the I guess Zach looks like he's got his head off to the side, so maybe Zach and, is, is Zach is hunched over, and uh, the main guy's got like one single he, little he, soldier's he, here, and all guards just stop in the corner like. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. He's like, "Are we eating my, my, or?" My so your 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 friend, who, your person who you loved in your childhood, who was taken from you, is still alive, is what you're saying? <laughs> you lucky son of a bitch! It's like, no, you don't understand. She's horribly crippled. She might have died in the time I've been in space. I don't know. <laughs> He's like, God, stop making me jealous. Yeah, 
And so Charis is just like, come on, why are you crying? And they're like, oh, Sam, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We're so rude to you. It's like, oh, come on. It's, I should have told you about it. I just, you know, come on. Why, why are you crying about this? And, uh, uh, Kanata says, what do you mean? I mean, she's important to you, so she's going to be important to us, too. So, oh, they bonded together as closer friends from this experience. Surprisingly, seems to have resolved this plot line rather quickly. Um, I thought that we were going to get to a bit more intense stuff out of this, but, uh, I mean, I'm not upset about this, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting... This was this was the person that Annalise thought was the killer, and because the one person we kind of hadn't found anything out about, and now we found out about him, it's like, oh, I guess he's not. Because you even see like the scene of him at the end, like looking at the picture. So maybe like mm-hmm. the notion of like, oh, it's just an elaborate story you made up, probably not true. But well, I mean, there's still doesn't. the possibility that it's not that what he told isn't true. That there is a Sela out there, and he is trying to do something for her benefit, but he may not actually necessarily have been a fucking character from a villain, a fucking medieval village somewhere and all that nonsense. He could mm-hmm. still be the assassin. Um, um we we do get a little because uh, things kind of res- resume to, you know, everything. And uh Charles is reflecting he's like, you know, I I I've got, I actually have a family again now after I cut ties with everyone with everyone else. And um the but uh, Ares uh while they kind of walk off uh, together, they start talking again, and Ares says, oh, Sailor was really important to you. You know, you mind if I ask what she was like? And he thinks for a second and says, she's a lot like you. And all of a sudden, Ares, you know, remembers all the times that he freaked out uh, over her and uh, was so protective of her, and she starts to blush. And off to the side, he's like, oh, the love triangle, <laughs> Freaking shippers. Um, <laughs> Nick gets angry. He's like, fucking hate you all so no, much. Not, not really. Um, and yeah, like you said, we see him in his room later on, looking over the portrait of, of Sela and just saying, I'm sorry. Um, it's, it's, a uh, it's a rather somber moment. And also it's, it seems a little bit ominous just the way that he's drawn as he's looking over it. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we still, we don't it's, know if this is the true story or not. Right. Well, and the way he says it, you could just say it's like, maybe he's, He's sorry for what happened in general. Maybe he's sorry that he can't see her again. Maybe he's sorry that he told the story at all. Or, yeah, maybe he's sorry that he, uh, hey, maybe it is true, uh, what happened. And maybe that's why he's on the mission and he's the killer. And maybe he's sorry that he used that to throw suspicion off to himself. Mm. So, who knows? Uh, it's, it's fine. It's nice to see what. Tarsh has behind him, like, what actually is the secret behind that character, and now kind of everyone in the group, we know at least enough about them. We may not, some may have a little bit more than others, but no one in the crew is, like, a big question mark anymore. Uh, this one kind of had a lot of tough, like, it, it was tough to follow this one, though, since you had to, uh, or be this one, because you had to follow Luca's whole story. Mm-hmm. a much more dramatic and, like, interesting revelation as opposed well, to... Well, and it also had the big, like, the planet is flooding thing yeah. going on around it and the gun. And <laughs> Whereas this one, it's just like, all right, guys, so I came from this place, things happen, and I got a girlfriend, she's in a coma, I ran away. Anyways, I'm here now. It's like, oh... She's not my girlfriend, but, uh, you know... Yeah, he's like, but, you know, if I, you know, she woke up, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to it, you know, I'm just saying, mm-hmm. come on. 
I mean, yeah. she would still technically, I guess, be mentally 12 or whatever, but, you know. <laughs> hey, I mean, I'm, you know, <laughs> who am I, Saint? Um, yeah. Okay, is, is it Promise Neverland time I now? think you like, could do Promise Neverland. going to fuck up a third time I, I on this? I think you could do it. Okay. Chapter 28, Concealment. Oh, wait, Nick, we're all triggered now. Fuck off. <laughs> Um, so this is the chapter where Ray explains how he learned the secrets of the orphanage. And we said last time I knew from the beginning, um, by the way, this actually led to, um, I don't want to give it away yet what we did. Um, but if you check out the bonus podcast for February, we did a weekly manga recap lives and we came up with a voice for Ray that might be my favorite voice now. Um, I, you I, should really check it out. It's. <laughs> we were... I, I played just a tease before the episode for some. Like, if you haven't seen it yet, and I, I can't stress, like, it was only thirty seconds that I played, and I'm like, you don't understand. It was like fifteen minutes though of us doing this like thing back and forth of Ray's voice and the the character he's become with it. So it, it it's honestly one of the funniest things I feel like we did on Weekly Manga Recap. At least one of the ones I had the most fun doing. So definitely check it out if you're a bonus page. Or we literally page. also recorded the day, the night that this chapter was released. So I, I'm pretty sure that this influenced our decision to do to go with what we did. Uh, so God, just like one of those instances of magical timing. So, so uh, Ray explains infantile amnesia. And like, what are you talking about? Well, see. You can only remember back to when you were about, like, three or four years old, right? Usually, people forget the memories of when they were a baby. That's infantile amnesia. But there are some humans who don't forget. I have memories from when I was a fetus. And, uh, you know, he just goes through, like, you know, like, I remember being inside this dark, warm liquid. I remember my voice. I remember a, a lullaby. I never knew my parents. And I have only fragmentary pieces of a puzzle. And we see, like, you know... Baby Ray being taken out by doctors, being presented before the demons uh, as an infant crawling around. I didn't notice this, but in the one panel, he's not only like getting like the fucking thing stapled in his ear. He apparently had enough fucking baby power to stand up and look over the side. <laughs> look at that! He's standing up in his little fucking baby crib. I guess he is standing. Yeah. He's like, not only was I a special baby with my baby intelligence, <laughs> but I had special baby legs and I could stand up no matter what. I never skipped like that even when I'm a child. <laughs> That's because I respect my just, body. It's a just con- just constantly doing sit-ups and crunches inside of my mother's womb. <laughs> had, a, had an eight-pack when I came right out. <laughs> Gotta get swole, yo. <laughs> Looked down at myself and was like, Jesus Christ, I couldn't even get a tan in that dark place. I gotta get, hit the beach and pick up some fly honeys. <laughs> you guys don't understand, though. You guys don't take care of yourselves like I do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if you had your baby memories, you would. <laughs> I, I fucking hate you, right? <laughs> it's just because you, you guys were just getting fat off of your mommy, mom's titty milk. And meanwhile, I was actually having a healthy diet. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, I was discovering the secrets of the universe. <laughs> By the way, none of you had moms to drink titty milk off of, so I hope you like that. Like, we know, dickhead. He's like, yeah, but I knew when I was a baby, because I had baby memories. 
<laughs> they were giving me a story, and I was like, yeah, I see spot running. You don't need to tell me that you can sit see spot running. I already see it, because my yeah. eyes are like twenty twenty. <laughs> I get it. The moon's going to be going to sleep. Could this be more predictable? <laughs> <laughs> wah, mom, wah. <laughs> it's like, I fucking hate you, baby Ray. <laughs> It's this! I swear to God, guys! It's like 15 more minutes of this on the podcast. You have to check it out. Oh, okay. Oh, God. But, yeah, he remembers getting the device implanted in his ear, even, and that's how he freaking knew, was that he just didn't forget that memory of, of getting it put inside of his ear and then going through the tunnel. So when they first checked out the tunnel when they were kids, apparently... He knew where it was even before that. Um, so, yeah, his his memory goes back to, like, a year before he coming to the orphanage. And uh, so they're like, oh, wait, so you're, what you're saying is when we go past the gate outside, we don't go outside. And Ray's like, yeah, we actually just go straight to headquarters. That's where that tunnel leads. Which we kind of already knew because we saw Crone going through the tunnel and meeting up with Grandma there. So... Um, and uh, Ray essentially caught on that there was, you know, a secret here because he remembered just enough from when he was a child to know that the world as it was being explained to them as they were growing up didn't match up. And when he got to learn more, when he was able to read stuff from the library, he understood, okay, this is not right. This wasn't an orphanage. When he was actually old enough that he could understand the stuff that he had seen, he understood what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so when it came to his sixth birthday, he actually just flat out asked mom about it. And she was surprised. And that made me confident that it was true. And so then they, of course, made the deal. And that was it. So Emma, you know, is like, oh, man. So Ray, Nolly has known about this for six years. He's known about it for basically his entire life. And he's just been living with this knowledge and this secret, not able to really do anything about it until now. I know, I'm pretty awesome. I'm pretty sweet, but you're totally in love with me now. Both of you. Both of you want me so bad. <laughs> Which is fine, because I go both ways. Because I'm, I'm open-minded. Because, if you recall, I have all my memories from when I was a baby. And when you when you have all your baby memories, you're a little bit more open-minded and uh, transcendent than other people. Why can't you just be accepting like I am? I, yeah. I actually know that there are 5,000 genders. And <laughs> He's like, what you don't understand is I'm on an elite level of human where you actually evolve past us. It's me and a tiny group of people. It's me, Bill Gates, and Johnny Depp, and that's why we're all so intelligent and smart and amazing. You guys don't even know who those two people are because you don't read many books as I do. Books is more of a, a superior form of entertainment. All this video game stuff well, that you play. Actually, in fairness, <laughs> there are, I don't think that there are movies in this world. So. He just keeps going, like, just dragging on. We're like, we get it, Ray. You have baby memories. <laughs> Norman goes outside to fake, to fake his own death, and Emma, like, hobbles away on one foot just to get away from him. She's like, can you tell him I got shipped out. It'd be so much nicer if I don't have to see him anymore. Maybe if you guys were higher forms of intelligence, you wouldn't be shipped out like I'm not. <laughs> Maybe if you guys were woke, you wouldn't be getting shipped out, but uh, you're not. So. It's just like, don't you fucking come at me with this woke shit. Oh, God. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Ray lays out a bit more details. But he's like, you guys kind of already have probably figured most of this out uh, from the stuff that you've been learning from Crone and from everyone else. Headquarters and the adjacent five plants, those make up the Grace Field House. The gate won't serve as an escape route. Once we pass it, it's not just a few guards out there. It's swarming with demons and adults. And so it was like, oh, but that's bad. 
And Ray says, well, actually, that's why the security is light. You know, it's the same beyond that, you know, the pretending to be family and all that stuff. That's why I can say for sure that they aren't going to increase security when we get, when Norman escapes or pretends to escape. So, you know, just nullify the tracking device, hide in the forest, and uh, use this. And he hands him this bizarre little tin, like, candy case with wires sticking out of it. And he's like, you know, you just push against the left ear and you push the button and that'll nullify the tracking device. And uh, I was like, you made that from camera parts? Well, I made it from a bunch of stuff that I've been collecting as prizes over time. The camera just happened to have the strobe that I needed in order to complete it. I make all of my technology homemade, actually, <laughs> to be more pure and to art to the craft. I made this in a cave with a box of scraps. <laughs> I care about craftsmanship, not like today's regurgitated products. <laughs> like, Ray, for the love of God, we haven't even gotten to Black Clover yet. Shut up! <laughs> um, and uh, Ray says, oh, and Donnie Gilder are making us another rope uh, out of spare sheets and stuff. So we don't care if Mom finds out anymore. Or I have them steal more from the linen room. Who cares if she discovers that, that we are more active at this point? So yeah, he'll disappear tomorrow. And then once Emma's leg is healed, that's when we'll escape. And uh, Emma's like, yeah, okay, we're not going to let you die, Norman. We'll get out of here alive, all of us. And all three of them hold hands together and form a circle. It's a uh, much more effective circle of hand-holding scene than fairy tales, I-, I will say. Well, there's not a fucking dragon flying above them with a nuke ready to go off. We will survive! <laughs> uh, so we cut ahead to that evening where, you know, they go through, you know, Isabella introduces, it's like, oh, Norman's gonna be adopted tomorrow, and, you know, all the little kids are freaking out, um, uh, and, uh, let's see, I think that something happens... Well, I mean, like, Sherry, one of the little girls, like, freaking drops a plate on the ground. Is like, what? No! <laughs> Some of the more mature kids are trying to co- are trying to comfort her. There's this one tan kid with blonde hair who, like, has to drag her in front of Norma so that she can properly say goodbye and stuff. And uh, Norma keeps up the act for for all of them, and uh, which, you know, it makes sense, you know, because, like, he, he doesn't want to make a scene because he wants the kids to stay comf- comforted, and that's why Isabel is not suspicious that he's acting so happy. So, uh-huh. so and uh, we go we go back to Emma's room where she's healing up, and she's freaking devouring her dinner. She's, she's like, I've got to heal up! <laughs> doing the second most dramatic eating of food I've seen in the series. <laughs> the first of which will forever and always be, I take a potato chip, and I eat it! Crunch! <laughs> You know, if you look in the manga, that's not actually an incredibly dramatic scene. <laughs> no, but that shit still still fun. In the anime. <laughs> uh, so uh, we see Norman standing by himself, and uh, he's uh, sitting on his bed, and he stands up, and he goes into the drawer, and he finds the pen that uh, Crone hid. And which actually, you know, makes you realize just how freaking quickly the sequence of events in the last several chapters have gone down. Because, like, over the course of one day, Crone was sent away, revealed the, what she knew about Isabella, was killed, revealed a secret we still don't actually know about. Because I don't think Ray has actually explained what his ace of his sleeve is. No. I don't think that his explanation uh, of his, you know, not having infantile uh, amnesia uh, caused it. Um. And uh, she was killed, of course. Then Isabella locked up Ray, 
She went and she she found him in Norman. She broke him his leg, brought the back, said Norman's going to be shipped out, and then they hatched this whole plan. And so the last something like ten chapters have been like one day. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty crazy to think how much has happened that quickly. We still haven't found out what that big like that leftover gift from Crone is, and yeah, I'm worried because this is something like everything was set and planned, like in place. Everything for this, like Ray, what he's or Norman, what he's going to do was like set and scheduled and like they kind of note like the rest of the day goes on and at mm-hmm. the end it's like Nor- Ray and Emma and he's like don't worry it'll go as planned and then Norman disappeared and I'm like I I wonder if this is going to like that fucking pen changes something in Norman's thought process and like fucks with the plan in some way because it's the unaccounted for information now and from henceforward we're just I I mean, maybe next tech chapter starts with like Ray, Ray giving Norman food, being like, "Yo, what up, bro?" And like, "Hey, still in the woods." But um, <laughs> there's part of me it's like, "Oh man, what if that pen is just the start of a catalyst that changed Ray, uh, Norman's mind about something or put him down the idea of trying a different plan or all maybe I'm gonna try them now." <laughs> I just think it's gonna. I, I'm wondering if it'll change his his mindset at all or alter yeah. the way he's going to be operating. And who knows? Um, but uh. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I just checked the, the way that the series is being received. I mean, obviously, it's been getting color pages and stuff, but I'm just, I'm always, I'm constantly like, okay, thank God that it's, you know, still doing well in response stuff. Like, the lowest that I'm seeing is, like, right in the middle of the pack, and then it goes back up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, God, please don't have the series be rushed or anything, because I really just want to see the way that this whole thing unfolds. I don't want any of this to be rushed because that would freaking ruin it for me. Yeah, I think we're going to have this one for at least a good period of time. Okay, and we're going to wrap up with Black Clover because there's no One Piece this week. So, a uh, bit of an awkward one to end on, but whatever. Um, It is... What are we on? Two, this is 99. This is... Chapter 99. Penultimate. Nothing ultimate important will happen next time, I'm sure, yeah. So, last time, uh, the Witch Queen decided to be diddle asshole and, uh, used her blood magic to turn Asta into her puppets and, you know, unleash the negative energy and stuff. Uh, and, uh, she's just going to kill all of his friends because, because. So, question. I haven't, I, I didn't spend enough time looking for it and looking across the panels, it doesn't seem to be a hundred percent clear. Is Ladros included in any of these crucifix? Because you can see I'm, Noel, Finral. I'm assuming that one's in the front left is Fauna, and I'm guessing then Mars would be pretty appropriate. I'm wondering if Ladros got crucified or if they just he just got fucking like eaten and absorbed. Oh, there'd be one there for Rebecca if she was an important character, but she's not, but so she's not. <laughs> she doesn't get one. Um, the Witch Queen sends Asta after Noel first. Okay. I, it seems like a random choice to me. Whatever. It probably was uh, meant to be, I think. Yeah. And, uh, she realizes that Noel is a royal. Um, that actually might have something to do with it. And yeah, she, I mean, said, she says ominously, to think that a Clover Kingdom royal would die by their sword. So, ooh, more lore hints. Um, Asta, like, one of his other hand, not his sword arm, kind of comes to life and grabs it and tries to s- stop himself, so he's 
trying to fight back against the control. And we actually get another panel that's, like, sketched out. Yeah, it does seem like there were... Uh, I thought I heard Tabata also had some stuff, which I guess makes sense if Tabata's also kind of working on his anime, which is coming out, so... Mm. Um, and, uh... So... Everyone, Noel and Vanessa are both shouting uh, out to Asta and, and such, and, uh... uh Vanessa is pleading with the Witch Queen, saying, oh, I'll never leave this forest again. I won't disobey you, so please stop. And the Witch Queen says, No, I will kill these people here to keep you from ever getting such foolish notions again. My divinations told me Vanessa will summon what you want and return to the forest alive someday. That is why I didn't search very hard for you. Granted, I didn't think that what I wanted would be a human with anti-magic swords. However, what did you gain by going outside? You formed trivial bonds with imperfect people, and as a result, you brought about their deaths. Nothing more. You can't escape me. After all, you are my daughter. My family. You are mine. And we get a flashback. There's a lot of flashbacks this week, come to think of it. Uh, to uh, Vanessa being kept in literally a giant birdcage. Uh, that's a little on the nose. <laughs> Not since Fire Emblem, I think Path of Radiance, where there was literally a bird man kept in a cage, has it been like, I felt like it's been this on the nose. And I guess that was a little less on the nose because he actually was a bird person, so it makes sense to keep him, I guess, then in a bird cage. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> She's not one for subtlety, this witch queen. Uh, and, uh, Vanessa is pleading with, uh, with the queen saying, it's like, come on, you, you, I don't have the power that you say that I do, so let me out. And the witch queen says, no, someday you will have the power to control destiny. The divinations show it clearly. I won't let you out of there until you invoke that magic. You are my family. You belong to me. Ah, you are mine, blah, blah, blah. And uh, there's a little bit of nice detail, like Vanessa is so freaking lonely inside the cage because you know she sees outside people, you know, sharing their experiences with each other and talking, talking about going to the to town and stuff, but she can't even interact with them. So she's using her thread magic to form little characters to talk to her and just having conversations with herself instead. Um, but she's essentially just kind of like giving up mm-hmm. hope and she's like, I'm just going to have to stay here. And then, crumbing, crashing through the wall, is Captain Yami. Well, there he is. Just, boom, through a wall. He's like, huh, so this is where I am. This is where I landed. <laughs> He's like a, like a violent, destructive Bugs Bunny. Like, he just pops in place. He's like, this is an Albuquerque. Guess I'll fuck <laughs> shit up while I'm here. <laughs> He's apparently in the middle of a fight with the queen. And uh, he's like, huh, what are you doing here? And uh, she says, the queen locked me up, and I've never been outside. And and uh, he's crashed not only through the wall, but also through the bars of her cage. And so and he's like, well, you're in luck. There's a big hell here, so you can get out. And she's like, no, I'll never escape. I'm fated to stay here. And he's like, huh? Fate says you have to be here? Oh, yeah. Good old fate. I hate that stuff. Oh, well. It's lame. Um, yeah. Fate sucks. I crush fate and I just do whatever I want. She ain't the point I could beat right now, though. So, uh, I'm gonna leave. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna peace out, if you don't mind. Yeah. And, uh, so Vanessa's like, well, well what should I do? And now he's like, I don't know. You decide. He's like, oh, are you still here? She's like, in my cage? She's like, look, I don't have time for a back and forth, alright? <laughs> 
So she decided to follow after him, and and that was pretty much how she joined the Black Bulls. Um, and we see some scenes of her, in, you know, interacting with the Black Bulls, and um, I, I don't know. It's kind of weird that like two of the five panels we get are her like being drunk, goofing around in her underwear. It's like. Yep, that's uh, a big part of the character we've known so far. Is what's what's weird to me is that you'd almost expect something from her backstory would have like suggested why that's a thing, but her backstory really doesn't suggest why. She, I guess it's like she's like I'm free, so I'm going to go to the extreme with my freedom. I'm going to be yeah. as wild and ambitious as possible. Free, yeah, as free spirited. Yeah. But you're like, was there a point where she had to? Because like when Vimy shows up in her cage, her first thing is, oh, a man. I've never seen. And she covers before. herself up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, so did like, was there a point like when she got out of prison where she immediately just like, fuck these things, just ripped her top off? It was just like, let's get drunk, let's start it's making mistakes, like... yo. Well, I mean, if you wanted to make be like thematically consistent, I could definitely see that. And also, she's like. If, like, clothing is, like, a thing that ties into this, um, she's not dressed, like, super conservatively. She's basically just in a, in a long nightgown. I, I could, I could just see it's it. It's like she's wearing rags, almost. Yeah, I mean, I could see it just in the notion of, like, yeah, because she, like, is free, she's, like, throw, like, she's gone full and, and, uh, removed any inhibition. She, she's very, I can't think of a term that's not loose, and that's not the term I'm trying to apply, but just, like, very free with herself. She doesn't, like, put restrictions on herself, even of, like, societal ones. But it does really just feel like it's like, okay, so there was, like, you just put a fucking 180 when you got out of there. All right, I guess. fair <laughs> enough, I suppose. <laughs> um, so, Vanessa shouts out at the, at, the, at the queen, you're not my family. The Black Bulls are, all of them. And right now, that family's about to be taken away from me. I have to stop this. Why am I here anyway? Please, if I really do have that sort of power, then let my magic change destiny. And her grimoire opens up and a new spell appears within it. And her thread magic takes the form. Little kitty cat on her head. (laughs) Which the douchey cat just pees on her head and disappears. (laughs) She's like, I hate cat magic. It's so unpredictable and randomly cruel. And the queen is like, the red thread of fate. It's going to tie a guy's mouth shut after piercing through his cheek. <laughs> oh, no. It was a bizarre coincidence. The two red thread of fate powers showed up in, uh, in Jump in the same week. But, um, um, I, I don't have a problem with this chapter, but... Something that occurs to me going through this is like, oh yeah, this was a Vanessa arc, wasn't it? You know, the fact that she went to see the Witch Queen of her own behalf, separately from uh, Noelle's group, uh, to beg for her help in healing Asta. And it feels like all this stuff has kind of been a diversion from that point uh, with the invading armies and stuff, because... We only, obviously, of course, you know, the queen unlocked this demonic side of Asta at the end and played a role in the resolution of that conflict. But Vanessa played very little role in what was happening. She did her team up with Fenrir and Asta the way that they did in the previous arc. And, but other than that, like the stuff with Mars, uh, uh, you know, freeing Fauna from her control, uh, striking down Ladras at the end. 
uh, or for that matter, uh, playing a big role in taking Lighters down the first time. She wasn't involved in like any of that. So to have her suddenly like, oh yeah, this is her, this is like her big thing. It, it was kind of jarring to have to, to go back to that. Uh, I agree to a certain extent. I don't know if I'd say this was her arc though. Um, cause this was ultimately the, the main notion was get Asta's arm healed. It's just we learned more about Vanessa in the process of doing it. And it did feel like, oh, like it's weird we learned this much about Vanessa if she's not going to do anything except the same tactic she used against Veto. But now that this has happened, I'm actually kind of happy because my main complaint about this arc prior to this was that it had just been a repeat of the Underwater Temple arc. It had just been the same thing, essentially, beat for beat. And I guess technically the Water Temple also had Yami come in to actually finish Veto off at the end. So maybe you're like, oh, you know, this is the same that way. But at least Vanessa's somebody who you, I feel like we as the reader are meant to be like, want to experience their journey. Like, uh, Yami is like the shanks of this world. Like, he's already been awesome, all right? Like, we right. don't need to see him grow. He's already the cool, like, mentor figure. But Vanessa, I feel like, is one of the other characters. She's another straw hat, if you will. So her getting a chance to get stronger and show off is something I'm fine with and I'm, I'm kind of happy for, you know, um, it remains to be seen what ultimately happens, and I guess, who knows? It may ultimately just be that her magic counters the blood magic, and then Asta still has to be the one to save the day. Maybe it will. I mean, Chapter 100, I wouldn't be shocked if that happens. But I do just like that Vanessa did have something significant to do here, and at least thus far, it seems like that's going to be her moment, at least. Even uh, Noelle, who's had two moments thus far to be like, big water dragon attack! Both those moments have always been like punctuated by Asta being like, and look at this quick move I do. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited at least this that it looks like Vanessa's gonna have her own moment to shine in this kind of little mini story about herself. But I agree completely that all the stuff with like Mars and Fauna and the, the light novel characters, that really was just like completely unconnected to everything else that was going on. It just almost seemed like, yeah, we gotta get to this stuff too. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that uh, this chapter is coming out the same week that we had Ariana's big thing, where yeah. she is separating herself from her parent, who is you know, a villain. I mean, it's you, you obviously it's unfair to compare the amount of time that they were built uh, because Azami is the main villain of Fairy Tale, and the Witch Queen is a, an arc villain that we didn't know about before all this. But, you know, when the two happen and it's like, okay, well, Arianna's moment has been coming a long time and has been getting this repeated focus, and we didn't really know the extent of the relationship between the Queen and Vanessa until right before she broke free from her control in this big defining moment. So it it is hard to fully appreciate it when you look over and it's like, well, that's a lot more satisfying over there doing basically the same thing. And yeah, I think that, I think that there was too much stuff going, there's too much stuff that's been going on this arc. It seems like they should have, I think that really you just kind of need to do like a little tweak. I think that if you took out the involvement of Mars and Fauna that, and you know, thus adjusted the stuff with Ladras, I think that this would have worked better. You know, there's an invading army. Let's go and stop them. And uh, we learn a bit more about Vanessa in place of the resolution of the stuff with Fauna and Mars. Save that emotional moment for a different time and replace it with stuff building up to this. Um, I mean, it's impossible to know how how well that would work, but 
it really does feel like this Mona Vanessa suffers from the stuff that's been going on around it. Yeah, uh, you definitely... I mean, I think maybe if I go back eventually and read this arc in a complete shell, maybe it'll feel a little bit better, but as it is experienced, it definitely didn't have the same kind of like oomph to it. But I appreciate that there's at least an effort being put into it to at least develop this cast around Asta. All right. Uh, okay, so, um, yeah, we are basically done. So let's name our favorites for this week. MVPs and favorite chapters. Oh, you starting with me? Yes, because I have okay. to pull up the. All right, I don't, I don't, I don't always. All right, so. No, my favorite chapter. Yeah, it's chapter we start with, right? An MVP? Yes. Okay. Uh, my chapter of the week is going to Food Wars. I think Food Wars no. was just fantastic this week. I, I loved what we got with Aaron as big, like, reveal, essentially, or not reveal, but big uh, resolution. Uh, I just thought it was a really effectively done chapter. I'm not, I jokingly am not crazy about the uh, Azami thing so much. A part of me is like, you did Team Rocket this guy a little bit. <laughs> like, it's going to be hard to take his scary moments as seriously when I just watched this dude ski down a hill with that pose. With that stupid sexy Flanders pose. <laughs> but, but still. Feels like I'm wearing. Well, actually, I'm wearing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> a, dark gray, a dark black assassin suit. Dark black assassin suit. Uh, but no, I still think it was really effective and just a, a joy to kind of experience. Like, it's like, finally, Arena has this moment and it, it feels worth it. Uh, I totally get that. Um, I am actually going with uh, Boruto this week. Uh, I thought it was overall a really satisfying chapter and it, you know, leaves me with optimism for the series ahead. Um, I think probably the most, probably the most, positive feelings I've had I had for a chapter this week just in general. Um and uh I mean like I liked Promise Neverland for example, but I think that we kind of ruined it for me <laughs> with with the joke about Ray. So So um but I am making Arena my MVP this week though. Uh because of her the big moment she had. She will be mine as well, uh, basically, because she's basically the reason why it's my chapter of the week as well. Really? Um, the interesting thing here is the audience poll. Um, now, some might say, like, this one needs an asterisk next to it, because technically we had some issues with Hitbox, where it wasn't streaming correctly for a lot of people. I guess Hitbox was having some issues. So not everybody, I guess, maybe went to it to vote, but I did tell people to go over there, and we did get quite a good amount of votes, and the winner of it is actually Hungry Marie. I'm actually not that surprised to hear that. It was an intriguing chapter. It was one of my favorites this week. I'm trying to think, when was the last time uh, Jumpstart won the chapter of the week? Uh, I think it was, might have been I think it might have been Promised Neverland. <laughs> I mean, hey, I, I think it's great. And it's also, I guess, to be fair, a week without One Piece and World Trigger still isn't around. But still, like, you know, there were still really good chapters this week. So cool that uh, a Jumpstart gets it. Uh, I think it was August 24th, 2016. That sounds like it's early enough. Yeah. yeah. All right. Oh, yes. As uh, Annalise just pointed out in the chat, make sure you vote for your jump starts. If you mm -hmm. want a series to, get to stay around in jump, go over and uh, vote for it. I think it's yeah. shoneinjump.com slash issue dash survey usually. 
Absolutely. I mean, like, we haven't been particularly enthusiastic about U19 or Poro. I know that you're quite fond of We Never Learn. Uh, but, hey, if you, the listener, have been reading them and are like, oh, I freaking love Poro, definitely, yeah, go fill out that poll. It takes only a couple of minutes of your time, and it increases the chances that you will continue to see it. So. All right, I just posted a link in there. If you're uh, listening to this after the fact, though, and you're like, I don't have a link, I can't click anything, Rollo T, you big jerk. Uh, if you go to Shona Jump's page and scroll down, it, there's a link to it beneath uh, the back issues part. Uh, I do wish they put... It used to be like a link at the top that you could just click. I wish they'd kind of take it back for that because it feels like they keep moving it and I forget where it is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just enter into it and uh, yeah, just a couple seconds of your time and you can win some free shit too, I think. Well, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. Thank you guys for joining us here on hitbox.tv slash T where we record the show on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time usually. Uh, actually, we're not on hitbox.tv slash this week. There are problems with it. That's why we are on twitch.tv slash which is one that we also simulcast to anyway. So one of those two addresses will work, and uh, if it's at a different time, then uh, we will let you know. Uh, mm. For example, it was at a different time last week because I was unavailable on Wednesday night. We had to move it to Tuesday. So to stay updated on changes like that, follow us on Twitter. He's at RoloT. I'm at YRollerOfTime. And the official Twitter for the podcast is at WMRPodcast. Check out also our past episodes. You can look at them on weeklymongerecap.podbean.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and also on our YouTube channel, which is also Weekly Manga Recap. Uh, if you do check us out on iTunes, make sure you leave a comment and rating because that improves the metric and gives us a better chance of defeating the evil menace that is the woodworking podcast. It's, it's, they're basically like an army as opposed to multiple independently operating entities, you know, like you know, like how the media is all one entity. See, you know, yeah. just remember that, guys. So it, it takes a lot of effort to go up against them because they are contrary their efforts on bringing us down. You gotta know that. Send us your criticism. Ask us questions. Suggest your manga for us to read. Send that stuff to Weekly Manga Recap at yahoo.com. Uh, we will probably not actually be taking new suggestions from emails for some time as we're working on doing the stuff so that we can prepare to add them to the recap. But don't worry about that. You can send in suggestions at any time. They will stay in our email archive, and we will look through them, and we will pick stuff out to do future uh, suggestions this year. Yeah, we, we check them, so it's you mm-hmm. can send it in now. Don't worry. And, of course, special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. You guys allow us to create all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We said earlier we had an incredibly great time doing Weekly Manga Recap Lives or Weekly Manga Recap Evils, <laughs> as we ended up calling it for February. And you can check that out on Patreon.com if you are a $5 supporter now. Yes. Uh, special thanks, by the way, to Silva Rerum, or it might be Silvar Silver rum. I'm not entirely sure. It's all one word. Nothing's capitalized, so I'm I'm trying to figure out where the breaks of the word are. Uh, but silvery rum or silver rum. Uh, thank you very much for being a, a, a patron. It is greatly appreciated. Fist bump for being awesome. And uh, hey, you got your uh, name horribly mispronounced by me. Which some people I've actually people email me like you didn't pronounce my name wrong like you promised. <laughs> <laughs> my guys, I try. <laughs> I tried so hard. <laughs> An awful clock is still right twice a day sometimes. 
And, uh, of course, special thanks to the guys who help us make the podcast what it is. Steve Manor, Tyler Carter, as you can check out his work at NeurotFanboy.DeviantArt.com, his own Patreon, which has lewd images. But uh, you can also check out the Tyler he does for us for free. And uh, Infamous Planet, check his stuff out. Uh, he is, uh, is he still working on that frame for us? Uh, I, I believe so. Guys, if you're listening to this, uh, the one thing he commented, he's like, Oh, they sent me nothing but One Piece images they did. He's looking for frames from all the manga we read that would be like the most significant moments from it. He's gotten a lot of One Piece ones, which makes sense because our audience is a big fan of the One Piece. There are cool images from other manga, I promise. Yeah. So if you, if you can think of any scene, send them, uh, let him know what it is. He's at Infamous Planet on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is going to do it. Uh, we will try to uh, be ready for Seven Deadly Sins next week. Um, no promises yet, though. Who knows what's going to happen between now and then. Yeah. Uh, but uh, coming in close on that, I've uh, I've completed um, more than the first arc, which is long. So <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, you might be already past where I was still reading on the recap at this point. So who knows? Mm. But, uh, yeah, that's gonna do it, guys. Uh, I wanted to, like, go out with something wacky, but I think we, we're running long already, so I think we're just gonna have to head off here. Well, if you were perfect like me, then you wouldn't have to struggle for that kind of information. It's like, yeah, I'm and, always ready to go on a high note. He's like, <laughs> if you had baby memories, you'd know that I have an internal clock that lets me know exactly when podcasts are running too long, and I'd be able to end it still on a great joke before anyone had to worry about it. But you don't have your baby memory, so I guess that's not really a solution for you. It's understandable jazz. It's like chaotic and, <laughs> and combative at the same time. They're constantly moving in front of each other, but that's what makes it such a beautiful art form. <laughs> you guys don't understand. It's dying, and I'm gonna save it. <laughs>